um now he's more like doom and gloom um but back then he was all like you know oh why you know why doesn't god want us to be happy and have a good time you know that kind of stuff so yeah that is quite a shift yeah that i was gonna ask you how many survival food buckets do you think i need for my wife and i for the upcoming <laughs> russian war? well yeah well the funny thing i find about that is like i don't really pay attention to a lot of that stuff but <laughs> when covid happened i was like shit <laughs> oh shit <laughs> good what thing i got right? 40 buckets what, of grits. what if he was right the whole time you know <laughs> um because that was never really that's not my thing but it is funny to see like how horrific things have gotten in the world and um you know you're like oh you know like now you're kicking you know. yourself for sending back that power well, yeah i'm like well, we all, you know everybody's gonna be like can we go to your dad's house now yeah. i don't think i'm allowed to go so good luck <laughs> Everybody, we're back with another episode of Growing Up. I'm Sam. And I'm Casey. And start off with some business. Uh, we were recently on the Back in the Cool Day podcast. We had those guys on our podcast uh, good, uh, a few weeks back now. And um, I, what? During that episode, we mentioned we were going to be on there. We were, and it's out. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. We really like those guys a lot. Blake and Eric, they have a great podcast, especially if you're into like the early 2000s emo metal whatever scene music it's all scene music let's go with that right um and they hit it all and they have different you know different musicians on they last year actually furnace fest was the big thing uh that was like what if you were uh if you were into christian metal or any at, at christian scene music at, at all uh in the 2000s that was like your mecca like that was i don't think anyone experienced FOMO like they did until all the bands and full lineups were announced furnace fest. Like a lot of dudes in, or people shouldn't just say dudes. Uh, it's like everyone uh, in their thirties was willing to drop 500 bucks on a weekend to go to that, get a hotel and shit. It was, it was a who's who of bands from that era. Yeah. But they, and they did a whole like road to furnace fest and they talked to a bunch of people who, they, like put furnace fest together and stuff like that so they've done some cool stuff and talked to some really cool people and if you're into all that definitely check out their podcast uh and if you're not well at least check out the episode we're on because it was fun and we had a good time with them uh i have a couple of things i want to start us off with casey outside of that because okay. i feel like this was a week where like just like little things got under my skin and it's just like just like pet peeve shit where you're like is this serious like whether it's shit people complained about or just weird things people do that don't make sense to me. And I think we've had a conversation about the first one, maybe. Um, but one of them is when people go to pee in a urinal and it's like the second they start peeing, they hit the flush. <laughs> they got that preemptive flush. Yeah. Like they're in a hurry. They can't and stand. And then like you hear the flush stop and then they, then they finish peeing and then they leave. Like, I just don't under that. That does not make any sense to me. Why you wouldn't just like pee and then flush. You don't save time. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. I don't, I'm baffled by it. And it leaves a little bit of pee in the toilet when you leave. And it really makes me mad. Yeah. Leave a couple of seed dribbles for your, for your next bro. 
<sighs> I don't get it. It's stupid. People who do that, if you do that and you're listening, you're stupid. Uh, also, when <laughs> when people, harsh. I know. I'm sorry. I. You know what? I don't like. I don't want to be don't shitty like when people with normal sized legs how they can stand like almost inside the urinal when they're going. And because my legs are, are only 18 inches long and I've got chubby thighs, like I have to stand away from it. You don't just lift your balls up and rest them on the part of the urinal that protrudes. No. Give them a little wash, <laughs> dip them in a little bit. Yeah. Just like a, just a, it's like a bird bath. Yeah. You just like <laughs> dunk them in. It's like uh, when you're like dunking a tea bag in a, in to a, cup of hot water it's like just like that washing them off i was i was explaining to april a while back about how there's like this whole unspoken rule of etiquette about which urinal you go to in in any given crowd situation oh yeah like you always got to leave a space you don't want to be the one on the end that's next to the sink you know if there's if there's somebody like way at one end like you kind of pick the middle so you're courteous for the next person who comes in so they can stay away from you it's yeah, it's and an important you, thing. There's and only one person in there and you go right next to them. They they want to kill you. They at least want you to die while using the bathroom. <laughs> that's a, that's a good time to offer a handshake too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, the only time it doesn't matter is like crowded, really crowded events where it, like all the urinals are taken up. And I swear that the most the places that have the most crowded events, like a, a venue, like or like a. Well, probably not with newer stadiums, but uh, basically venues or maybe older arena bathrooms or something like that, where like there's maybe six inches of space between each urinal and there's no divider. And they're the ones that like don't go up high. They're the ones that just like stick straight out of the wall. So there's you're literally just hanging dong next to like 15 strangers between the ages of like 11 and 75. And it's fucking terrible. (laughs) (laughs) There's like few things less comfortable. Like when you walk into a public bathroom and there's a little kid standing there with his pants around his ankles going in the urinal. Yeah. That might be one of the few things that's more uncomfortable. Than, you know? Especially when there's no, uh, when there is no dividers between urinals. Yeah. I just hold it. Like, <laughs> you ever walk in one. and then see <laughs> it, you scope the place out and you're like, I'll leave. No, no, I, I, it's a point of pride for me that I'll go in in any bathroom. Like I really Ooh. don't differentiate. That's because cool. I That's see right. some... you were you were posting some uh, on your personal Instagram. We're posting some raunchy ass truck stop bathroom. Yeah, or like some of the shops that I go into, like these car repair <laughs> places. There's some of them are wild. <laughs> oh my god! Like broken you... sinks and toilets. Like the porcelain's basically shattered. Yeah, You're just peeing down a drain. If there's like a if there's a, a a rubber hose just laying on the floor, that's usually a bad sign. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, okay, uh, I probably there's I think I have uh, a couple more. Um, the other one that got to me this week was when I was walking to work, and not someone that I work with, but someone was holding the door for me, but I was just too far away. To oh hold yeah, the door for me. I you got to do that awkward like fat like speed walk shuffle yeah. thing. And they smile at you like I'm doing something nice. Like you ruined my morning. And it's not like you get there any faster. You just have to communicate to them that like, hey, I see you and I'm appreciative of this. That's why I'm I'm hurrying for you. Your arms move like you're on a fucking elliptical or something, but your legs just go regular speed. (laughs) 
and just but yeah, and then they hold and you're like, thanks, really appreciate it. And they're like, yeah, yeah, of course. Have a good morning. And you're like, I uh, why why hold why I doesn't it's not hard to open a door. I don't I get that they're trying to be nice, but why is that nice? Why is that considered nice to do that? Well, it, yeah, if if you're right next to them and it makes sense to like hold the door so it doesn't slam right as the other person's yes. walking up, and it feels really shitty if you sense. do that by accident. I mean, I've definitely like not realized someone was behind me and not really held the door. And that feels shitty. It's also, you know, what another weird one is, is in a crowded space where you hold the door for somebody and you don't realize that there's a lot of people who are about to go out the door or maybe in the door. And, and you get stuck there, stuck there holding the door Oscar. for like 45 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you're like, I, you're trying to let it go, but you don't want to just like let it hit somebody. But at that point, you'll never see him again. So you should probably just go for it. Yeah. See the difference. The, the the length between you and the door that's being held determines whether this act is a courtesy or a performance. And like yes. you holding the door while I'm still, you know, 15 yards back, like you're performing for me and I'm not impressed. Okay. It's like, why perform? <laughs> like I want to, I want to get in those. Is it, are you a bad person? If you stop them and say, Hey, I appreciate you holding the door for me. I'm curious though. What was the motivation behind it? <laughs> that's like a curb your enthusiasm episode <laughs> they'll be like excuse me look look no it's oh, it's also like a uh i think you should, i feel like that's an i i think you should leave kind of thing too yeah I could see it yeah they, they like could that. tackle this problem where, where you're like well i was fi- i was 15 feet away and you held the door and i i just don't know why you did that why what were you thinking like what was what was your thought process behind what you were doing you know, it's, you know, it's one that gets under my skin all the time is like when people violate like obvious traffic laws in some sort of like display of quote unquote, like, uh, like, uh, politeness or whatever, like yes! you pull up to a stop sign. They definitely got there first and you're sitting there waiting for them to go. And they're like, Oh no, oh, no, no, you go. Or like yeah. you both get there at the same time. You go, you, you give them the hand signal to go. And they're like, no, no, you just and then go. you and just then you go. both go a little bit and then you stop and you do that until you just your bumpers meet in the intersection. <laughs> that happened to me in Virginia all the time. I not a lot of that happens in Massachusetts to be honest. The first time I encounter like every of course it does happen, but not a lot. Most people are just like I was here first, I'm going. And there's no issues cuz that's how the that's how traffic works. But the first time I like when I had moved to Virginia and Oh my God, that one, that's the one that stuck out to me the most. Uh, there's a couple other other weird Virginia moves, uh, but that one, the, that courtesy bullshit, it's like that fake ass, I don't, it's probably not fake, it's just uh, cultural. It's just like it bred into them. They're like, yo, go ahead, it's fine. No one's in that much of a rush maybe, but God, it. the amount of times that you do that where you wave each other on and you both go and you both stop and you're like, <laughs> and you can see each other like, kind of like, Oh, that's funny. Right. And it like happens a couple more times and you're just like, fuck this shit. And you just punch it and go, <laughs> go with just ram them. <laughs> We're a couple of crotchety old curmudgeons, man. Oh yeah. I'm getting, it's getting, here's the thing. I don't think, I guess I don't, I don't, I feel like a fine, like a fine person. Like I don't, whatever. I'm a regular person. I think I like to, I think I have a lot of shitty thoughts. A lot of people do. Um, it just makes me feel so good to say them. Um, and 
this isn't it. Like I, this is just regular, I guess. But like, I feel like there's so many really shitty. There's a few. Everyone has those safe people that they can say like really shitty, whether it's just jokes, <laughs> like the worst of the worst joke. Um, and those are the ones that make me feel the best. I love those. I get the warm and fuzzies when I can say something so fucked up, and it, the person you say it to is just like, oh, I get it, and I feel that too, and it, it kind of brings you closer together. It's like a release valve. Yeah. And then you just have to hope that you don't run against that person for like a Senate seat someday. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> especially if they could like pull up text messages, old text messages and shit like that. Oh, right. I definitely any political campaign I have would be thwarted by most of my uh, text threads with my close friends. <laughs> okay, yeah, last I think one. Everybody's in that boat. And I saw this this week. Um, uh, in a Facebook group I'm in and I won't give that Facebook group away, but uh, it's, it's a group where people discuss um, ex evangelical post-Christian kind of things. Uh, it's a bit trying uh, to be in this group. I don't, I don't really comment on it or participate in it in any way. Um, Meaning like the stuff that they're, yeah, the stuff that people say is, is like, yeah, it's a lot, to deal with or yeah. it's kind yeah. of so it's just nerves. like you're okay i'm maybe i'm just not there anymore but it gets on my nerves it's just like uh i don't know i'm trying to decide if i should just like cut this person out of my life completely because they say things that trigger me whenever it, i don't know whatever it whatever we don't need to go down that road but i don't want to sound like a dick but sometimes it's just like maybe you're just being a little too sensitive <laughs> that's not i don't think that statement flies too well these days but i'll stick with it uh so anyway and maybe this will get my point across and this is what i saw it, it, it someone was about someone who people make a lot of posts and they'll put a trigger one right tw uh thoughts of suicide tw depression TW, of course certain things like that are fine uh some people might not maybe someone just you know lost someone to suicide and they don't want to read a post about suicide i, I totally right, right. understand that uh I also wonder how much those work. Uh, I because if the first thing you see before a post is TW and then something that's triggering to you, you're probably still going to be like, I can't not read this and then do it anyway. It's like parental advisories and shit. Like they don't work. Um, but it was the trigger warning was Sunday school and Sunday school songs. What? Yes. Apparently it's super triggering for people to read posts about people's experience with Sunday school or their kids coming back and singing songs they learned in Sunday school that they, that they don't like. And that's when I realized I need a trigger warning for stupid trigger. Warnings. <laughs> <laughs> it's like back to the same principle. It's like, is this, is this trigger warning a courtesy or is this a performance? Yeah. Like, exactly. are you, are you trying to help people who may not want to read something that's, could be actually traumatizing or whatever, or are you hyping your post with a fake trigger warning? <laughs> I yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what's I don't know what's that. Tr I I know people had bad Sunday school. Are were, are there that many that are bad enough? Where like because at that point, what isn't a trigger warning? Trigger warning, elementary school. Yeah, trigger, trigger warning, warning. This is a group about church. Yeah, I know. It's it is. It's a group about people who left fundamentalism, and they're like maybe they're want to talk about how to you know, raise their kids in a way that they can still do Christian things, but not, I don't, I, that's kind of why I'm in it. I'm like, you know, that's people, but there's some people I like what they say and 
whatever. But there's just a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of posts that are just like, I, someone, I, look at, at the end of the day, it's someone who probably just needs some sort of validation or maybe all this shit's new to them. Maybe they and, don't have a friend they, to say, uh, yeah, messed up things to, to get them yeah. out of their system. But there are definitely posts where you're like, you, you're, this is, um, it's you're soliciting responses. And if you're doing that, maybe you really need it. So I don't want to be overly judgmental of that. All I know is that if you're triggered by conversations about Sunday school, you should probably get rid of the internet and just see a therapist five days a week until you can figure out how to navigate this world without coming into things that are going to make people. I don't know. I gotta, just got to go, go out <laughs> in the woods and live that Unabomber life. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Start your own cult. I that's honestly that's my best advice. If you feel if you feel triggered by it, own it, take it to the extreme and start your own cult. And I think that'll help. I think that'll help. Yeah. Well, at least you're making the rules then. You're yeah. the, you're the one having sex with everyone's wife. Exactly. And if just, you're not having sex things. with them, you at least get to tell that tell them that they can't have sex with each other. And that's you nice. at least get to beat the other members. Yeah. <laughs> Whippings in the right context. You can you can guilt them into uh, chemical castration or something. Uh, one thing I also just learned about this week. I'm gonna just blow through this one. Uh, we have something that you were gonna bring up, but uh, it's uh, the purified translation of the Bible. Have you heard of this? No. It's not much of a translation, apparently, but it is. It basically just changes all references of wine to grape juice. <laughs> <laughs> is that so stupid you know what just get the problem at its core yeah <laughs> it's such a great allegory for like all of the problems that people have with like all this like well let's take it back to the original greek and you'll see why i'm right you know yeah. it's uh it was a a graduate of miami university princeton theological seminary princeton university and columbia university uh Previously served on the translation committee for the new for the new international version. That's crazy. It's uh, an edition of the New Testament, which was published in 2000. And the preface, I'm on Wikipedia. I should have had this up ahead of time with actual things to post. But yeah, uh, they changed. Basically, that was that's the part of it. I'm sure they either, change other things, too. But that's what stuck out to me. Either this guy's like a total nut job or he's trying to squeeze money out of total nut jobs and doing so you know, knowingly. Yeah. It's really hard to put a finger on that whenever you're talking about this kind of stuff. It's, uh, it is. I think some of these people really just spiral down these rabbit holes. Like, I, I don't know what the, the gravitational pull of legalism is for some people. Uh, I sure if you were going to psychoanalyze them, it would come down to some major insecurities, but it's like, like if you're just in regular Christianity and those people who, because there's always that person, right, who wants to make it more extreme. There's always you've talked about those people from your church background, and like there's always that person that wants to be like, well, I think we should move this to the next level. I, we need to abstain from this or that. Like they'll they'll take it to more legalistic extremes, and it's I I don't I don't know what it is that makes people inclined to that. If you're in a community that's saying that the way everyone's living and these that this works, and you're, you you're not seeing it affect people negatively then i don't understand the drift towards like more extreme versions of them it's just the same it's like it's just this it's like sincerity pageantry it's like i'm i'm this much you know 
you're committed. I'm this much more committed to these principles. And, yeah. and you know, I'm sure it probably like it, it, it revolves around a subject that there isn't like concrete answers on. So instead of just having a circular debate forever with the people around you, you know, just make your own translation or write a doctrinal statement with that in the, in the legal language and make every member sign it. You know, it's like a, a, just a dumb way to try to like shut down debate or alternate opinions about something that probably doesn't matter in this case, definitely doesn't matter. Yeah. It, I mean, it obviously ends up boiling down to these people believing that to follow a strict code to be saved. They don't, don't say that. Some of them don't say that. I remember talking to a friend about this once where I mean, this was over 10 years ago when I was still in, in more in that bubble. I was, I was on my way out of it, but my friend was like, I, I, I feel like everyone throws around the word legalism too much because legalism imply like it, it, religious legalism particularly implies that your your salvation is contingent on your rule following that like you're not really saved if you're not doing x y and z and those more radical groups they'll get rid of you because if you don't follow the rules because you you know you're not like them anymore and so his arg- his argument was that that's that's not what most evangelical churches are that they're not legalistic because they're not hinging your salvation on it. But I disagree with that uh, because it's, yeah. it's, it's not that they don't, it's, it's that they, they don't say that it's not that they don't think that or don't act in a way that they believe that but they act in a way that suggests they believe that's true. Even if in their, you know, church documents, they're not stating it specifically, but you yeah, wouldn't, like, you wouldn't I mean, have if you that hard so- line about it. If you make right. it so uncomfortable for people to have a different opinion on that subject that they really yeah. can't, they either have to be quiet or comply or leave, then yeah, for for all intents and purposes, it's it's kind of like the, you know, talking to uh, so many people from that community about something like racism, where mm-hmm. like they they wholeheartedly believe because they don't have this like conscious thought that people with a different colored skin are lesser than them then they're that's then they're not racist like there's no racism there and it's like okay but if you hate everything about a culture and blame every problem on that and because it's not like then that that's racist that's in practice that's racism you know right it's exact yeah i think that's a great it's exactly like that it's like kind of missing the forest of the trees so uh april and i watched the hillsong documentary this week okay and I, you know, I had heard that it was coming out and I saw a trailer for it like maybe a month or so ago. I don't know a ton about Hillsong, but I know, I mean, everybody knows that Carl Lentz guy just from hanging out with Justin Bieber and stuff. Yeah. And hanging out with his pants, just barely hanging on by his dong. That guy. Oh, yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like a hanging a raincoat on a, on a, you know, a, a nail in the wall or something. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> so I didn't, I went into it without knowing a lot about them other than just like, they're really big and they have a big music thing going on and stuff. Um, had heard a few people say that they, that it, that they liked it, that it was really good or really interesting. I didn't think it was very good, honestly. <laughs> no. Yeah. I've, I feel like I've had like probably like three or four people be like, oh my God, have you watched this yet? So uh, my my impression is that I I was getting ready to watch something that 
like really uh, pulled the curtain back on something fucked up. Well, you know, for, first off, like to to there, I have two number or two real criticisms of it. Number one okay. is I don't think there's like hardly any new information here. Like from what I've seen of it and sure. stuff like that, okay, th- it's basically just kind of like they took all of the news headlines and stuff and put them all into one place. Yeah, right. My like my understanding of of Hillsong from knowing nothing about this documentary is that like the founder of it is uh so like I get yeah I guess like a few things uh the founder of it was found out to be a pedophile I feel like nothing really happened until after he died this is like the yeah. information that's out there so I'm sure it's covered in the documentary but it's they're not it they're not probably breaking stories with these so like him being a pedophile uh the son being a piece of shit and covering it up and then getting in i don't know some he got into some trouble again recently i don't I forget what it is but i just know he's like in hot water again he's that's right they found out about it that he might have been covering up or they're investigating it and he was going to step back but then he didn't now there's some more damning evidence but then uh the other part the other thing was carl lentz that obviously was big and then the fourth one was that the fourth thing being that they've just been making shitty music for so long. That's absolutely changed the evangelical music. game. <laughs> yes. All of those are, are, uh, that's, that's pretty much an outline for the documentary. Okay. Which brings me to my second complaint. It's three hours long and it really could have been about 30 minutes. Oh like, my God. It's, it's okay. So we, we talked a lot about gangster capitalism season three. Yeah. And we had Zach Levitt on who kind of like, made that whole thing happen and not everybody is going to love every part of that series or agree with all of the conclusions but it was very fair it wasn't like a uh you know out to destroy liberty as a whole and stuff it was out to bring you valid information and, and valid critiques of the things they've done right and i don't know it was just really well done and put together and and brought I mean, you know, six episodes or whatever. I mean, they were just jam packed with information and interviews that were really great. Yeah. New information, information that had never seen the light of day. They dug, they really dug into that. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, you talk about the scope of what they had to deal with, you know, what they had to go through and stuff like that. I mean, there was a lot less information out there about the stuff that's been going on at Liberty and everything. They did really excellent work on that. The Hillsong documentary is like, it's so surface level. It leaves like a lot of questions unanswered. You know, like they, they kind of go into detail about something like the fact that the church is organized into like 40 different LLCs, you know? Okay. And they'll, they'll make a point like that. That's just kind of like a, a, it's, it's not really like an, an interesting thought on its own. And then they'll just kind of, instead of going into it, they'll just kind of leave you with this innuendo, like, why would they need 40 LLCs? Is it to spread out risk in case of litigation? Hmm. And that's it. That's where they leave you. So it doesn't, yeah. does, it doesn't do anything with the information. I feel like a, a docu- like if someone wanted to make a documentary where they investigated all 40 of those LLCs and pulled some shit and shade, then that sounds like a documentary. But just pointing out something that's probably anyone can look up, like it's not that's not hidden information. I'm guessing, uh, and to just point that out, like, I'm, is it a little weird? Sure, that seems odd. Uh, I'd be, but like, 
if you're a doc, if you're a three part documentary and all you do is point something out instead of doing an actual dive into it, it feels like poor filmmaking. It feels like you're a bad documentarian. Yeah. Well, and like, I don't know. There's a lot of it that, you know, if you grew up in the, if you're listening to this show, you're pretty fluent in evangelical culture, especially from the era that's covered in this documentary series. And like, you know, when they're, when they've got Carl, the Carl Lentz episode where they're talking about him having an affair and stuff like that, they spend a lot of time like talking about messages that he taught at another church when he was younger and stuff like that. And it's just purity culture 101 stuff. Sure. And I mean, it's, it's like, it's like 20 minutes of just like, you know, he, he, talking about how he emphasized purity and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it's, it's not good, but it's the same experience that every one of us had that grew up in there. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not revolutionary in a, in any sort of way. And I, I mean, there's a lot of it that just comes down to like, these guys make a lot of money and these two guys at the top are you know, Carl Lentz isn't at the top anymore, but like they're charismatic people that, you know, are, got really popular and, and they really like criticize like the fact that they, they, you know, appealed to celebrities and things like that. They spent a lot of time talking about like how gross it was that, you know, they, they seem to emphasize that they had these celebrities come into their church. Dude, you know, how many restaurants have you walked? If you go into a spaghetti restaurant in, you know, St. Louis <laughs> and you know Carl Weathers was there in 1982 they've got a picture of him with the owner on the wall you know I mean it's 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 not any big surprise that if they attracted those kind of people they're gonna they're gonna draw attention to it and you know at the end of the day like you look at some of that like because they spent a lot of time on the celebrity thing it's like if they if if Carl Lentz wouldn't have been hanging out with Justin Bieber this wouldn't this documentary wouldn't even be a thing no one would care about most of what we're talking about here. Sure. Yeah, no, that that seems to make sense because outside of the the main things, the three main issues that are already and have been public knowledge and have are current if they weren't investigated are being currently investigated is it, it sounds like they're just describing any evangelical church or maybe not any but many a lot. Uh so to to make it i guess you could you could look at most evangelical churches and be like and look at the way they spend their money did you know that 85% of the money given to the church stays within these walls and if you're looking at a church that's you know has like a modest size building and maybe 300 members no one's going to care but most evangelical churches if you scale them up they're all i mean they're going to look just like hillsong that's a problem Sure, do a doc. Maybe do a documentary on how much money stays within church walls. I think what I'm, I guess what I what I'm trying to say is that I I expect documentaries to bring something to the table, not just repeat news stories and then ask open ended questions about stuff that they didn't do any investigating into. And that's yeah, what like this sounds like. There's like portions of it, like towards the end, where they really it, it, they couldn't. It seems like they they weren't settled on whether or not, you know, uh, this Brian guy that runs the church, like, is is he a, you know, a phony huckster that's just squeezing money out of a congregation that's too stupid to realize that he's a con man? 
Or is he like a fundamentalist nut that's out to like conquer the world for Christianity? Like they kind of bounce back and forth between it without really giving you much answers on it. They make some like really broad accusations that like Hillsong is a cult. And it's just it's just silly. Like yeah. it's typical, you know, that's such a we've talked about it before, but that like throwing around the world, the word cult doesn't add any credibility to what you're doing. Like, you know, and and. If you Honestly, can walk bigger... out the doors and never go back, and if someone reaches out and says, "Hey, I noticed you haven't been here in a while," you're like, "Yeah, I just I'm not coming back. It's not for me anymore." Like, All right, well, I hope I hope to see you again someday, brother. If that's how the conversation goes, it's not a cult. It, they might have yeah. cult like ideas, but it's just that that's a word that gets thrown around a lot now, um, and it feels like to me for. For better or worse, I don't know. I think it's good that there's such a spotlight being shown on the ills of church and the way that they function as organizations because there are a lot of them are fucked up and right. call it out all day long. I think that's fine, but there is a bit of sensationalization about it. And I think that's just because it hit mainstream. Like for us, for people who grew up in it, like in, you know, signed up to, we, we did everything. We were there all the time. Like, we were the free labor that they depended on to <laughs> right. Run. There's some of that in there too. <laughs> we, like, you know, we set up the chairs, tore them down, got there early, stayed late, like uh, all for the mission, I guess. I don't know, but I guess it, it, so some of this, when I like hear it being talked about, like it, that's not great, but even though I was taken advantage of in church, I don't feel like anybody was intentionally taking advantage of me. But I think the people who did had bought into a system that had taken advantage of them probably at some point. And it just, it gets in this hole. This is how this works. It, you know, churches don't just have all this money to throw around until they do. Uh, but the kinds that we grew up in weren't exactly like, you know, they might've had money, but they still, they wouldn't if they didn't have people volunteering to do things all the time. And right. I don't know. I, Some I'm of being it, a little long-winded on it, but I feel like it's just there's a there's a sensationalization going on right now that wants to paint all of these spaces as just all the money funnels to the top, lines the pockets of a few people, and everyone else is just being taken advantage of, and that it's all like that it's all a conspiracy, and it's it's not. It's not. It's popular because people like it. You know, like they're not this, they're not bilking their members out of money in the same way that like, you know, the the Mormon church does or Jehovah's Witness does where you got to show your tax statements and prove that you gave them 10 percent of your gross earnings or anything like that. Like they're yeah. collecting money just like any church is. But it's partly because people like what they're selling, you know, whether yeah. you're talking about like this. The, the book that so-and-so wrote, you know, last month or just the Sunday service that they, you know, that they're consuming from the pew or from the, you know, streaming or whatever. Like there's, I, I think there's, a, there's a lot of legitimate critiques that are made in the documentary, especially when you, you know, like the, the stuff that they talk, when they talk about like the abuse, um, the original sure. founders, you know, abuse of children and some of this, like there's a young girl that, she got groped at like a youth event and has had trouble getting any sort of like justice for what had happened to her. Like there's yeah. very legitimate stuff in there that's to be taken seriously. And you know what? I mean, I wouldn't go to Hillsong. 
I don't find Carl Lentz appealing or Brian What's-His-Face. I think they're douchebags, and I don't know why people are infatuated with them, but I don't know why people are infatuated with Gary V. I mean, I think he's annoying, and I hate watching his videos. I'm not going (laughs) to give him any money, but people do like, like, obviously, a lot of people like it, and that doesn't make that doesn't make him a cult leader, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's weak is what I'd it say. Is. And I think there was 30, there's about 30 minutes of really good poignant content in there. And then the rest is just, it's, it feels like masturbatory almost, you know, like the, the, just the continual, like going over and over the same points. And like, you have to understand these guys are out to conquer the world. Like they have a vision to have churches everywhere to convert people in every. And they're like, you're talking about Christianity as yeah, a whole. Flash. That's you're also talking about Islam and all these other. Like that's what religion is. Like religion isn't content to just like serve thirty people in their hometown. Like these people all have grandiose ideas. And you know, anybody who builds an organization the size of something like Hillsong, like they're probably a psychopath. They're probably an egomaniac. Like, it's not really surprising that they behave that way. Like, stop going there. Stop giving them your money, you know? And and if people do want that and they do like it, then that's their thing. It doesn't mean that they're under some spell or they're stupid and you're smart. Like, it's just people like different things and different communities appeal to them. So I don't know. Carl Lentz sucks. Uh, Brian, what's his face should go to prison for covering up that abuse. I hope the girl that got groped, I hope she gets a whole bunch of money out of him. Um, as far as a lot of the other stuff in the documentary, it's like, yeah, well, you know, welcome to evangelicalism. <laughs> I, I, I do want to clarify, even though I think people who listen regularly will understand where I'm coming from. But, uh, when I'm talking about the sensationalization of it, I'm not saying that there, that, uh, there's there's plenty of people who are fairly critiquing the Christian institutions and doing a great job at it. Zach Levitt being one of them. But like I, I and I'm not trying to defend their shitty nature and their, you know, the way they take advantage of people, even if it's unintentional. I'm not trying to make a defense for it. My my point in juxtaposing that against having a, a talking about a three hour documentary is if you're going to make a documentary it should highlight something outside of what just church is. And it sounds like they only did that for, at, you're saying 30 minutes, like maybe it could have been a one hour documentary, uh, but like to, to focus so much attention on just what church is seems maybe it's, I think the only reasons a, a documentary like that would be greenlit is because it, it's maybe hitting a new audience. There, there's probably plenty of people who watch that and were like, Oh my God, that's, that's unbelievable. And we're over here like, yeah, we've, that, <laughs> this is just a scaled up version yeah, of what, like there's four of them in every town, you know, <laughs> literally any church, the one that I went to, any single church, their, their whole idea, you look at their fucking church website. It's bring the, uh, there's going to be something about the great commission in there. And it's going to be about bringing the gospel to all peoples of all nations. And how one day, every person in every tribe of every tongue will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's usually after Jesus comes back and slits a bunch of fucking throats, but it it'll happen. I mean, they'll, they'll get there after they've been coerced enough. But the idea of that is like in, in most churches. So like if you're, you scale that up. Yeah. That, that that's, they're going to want to put a church in 
every country around the world if they that's that is their actual objective even if it's a 50 person church in the middle of utah yeah absolutely so our guest this week is one that we, person we've been really excited to uh to share with you guys we had a great conversation with jay baker um if his name doesn't immediately like resonate with you his parents were jim and tammy Faye baker and they were some of the most successful televangelists of all time and then went through like this very public very ugly like catastrophic yeah, fall from real grace ugly. and um since then jay has like you know gone on to lead his own life and and adopt his own version of christianity he was one of the first people to be gay affirming as a minister had tv shows and radio shows at different points super interesting guy and just like a a, a very fun conversation with someone who really thinks on his own about a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, I, dude, I had such a great time talking to him. I, he's someone I've wanted to talk to for a while. He, because a lot of what he says connect, like it resonates with me. You know, I, I appreciate that a lot of people who go through some of the shit that he did, um, it's easy to throw all of that away. Just be like, this isn't for me. It's obviously trash. He was hurt deeply by, a lot of aspects of big Christian, but he did. He, he kind of carved his own path and is a, a progressive. He, he pastors a progressive church. Um, Should mention that his dad is still a televangelist. Yeah. And a little bit different than he used to be. He's kind of like a, uh, oh man, I don't even know what to say. He, he hawks like phony products and like survival food rations and, you know, it's like yeah. Infowars level products to protect you from radiation or purify water when the, the power grid gets shut down by the globalists or whatever. Got in trouble for for selling fake COVID cures um, during the pandemic, some sort of colloidal silver nonsense or something. <laughs> so Jay is like such an interesting character, especially when you consider like, you know, who he grew up around and, and you know, the, who his parents turned out to be and just, man, you couldn't find somebody that, that had been through so much and is still like, so full of like this positive energy towards other people. You know, he really kind of exudes that sort of, that sort of love that you expect to, to associate with, you know, uh, uh, died in the wool Christian. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I would say that whatever Christianity should be about is what, sunk in for him and uh you know he he i think he exemplifies that he talks a lot about grace and how everybody belongs and i think i think what he says is important and i think it matters and it definitely stuck with me i've been thinking about this conversation since we had it you know especially in the world that we live in now where it's kind of just like the everyone wants to just i don't know scream into the void about why everyone else is stupid and this is fucked up and that's fucked up. And, Oh, you think like that you're, you're an awful person. Like, there's just a constant back and forth. And I, I feel like he takes uh, a road less traveled and has a, an understanding for people. And I think a lot of that probably has to do with uh, finding healing in, in the way that he grew up in the way that he experienced some of the worst of Christianity, but also some of the best of it. And I, I, I don't know. I, I think he the the path that he he's carved ahead for himself is is exemplary and just a, a great comment. You're gonna love him. 
Uh, you can find him on social media all over the place. Look up Jay Baker. Baker is B-A-K-K-E-R. And uh, definitely follow him. Keep up with what he's got going on. I think he's got a book or two out, too. Um, so, yeah. That being said, uh, we're going to cut to a word from our sponsor, Minor Threads. And after that, enjoy our conversation with Jay Baker. Friends, I know a lot of you out there are small business owners. I know a few of you are musicians or artists. Regardless of which camp you fall into, eventually you're going to want to put out some custom merchandise. But the prospect of getting a design together and going through one of these impersonal, large-scale websites can be intimidating and tedious. And that's why we're proud to be sponsored by Minor Threads. Minor Threads is a North Texas-based custom printing company that is able to help you get your logo, your company's branding information, your design onto almost anything. Maybe you want to order some shirts, some stickers, banners, maybe enamel pins. The merch game's crazy these days. Minor Threads can help you with all sorts of promotional products. They also specialize in custom printing with low minimums. That can be great if you're a small company just looking to put in a small order. And for our environmentally friendly friends out there, uh, they have plenty of eco-friendly options as well. So if you're ready to take that step and get some merchandise, Go to MinorThreadCO.com and request a quote. Mention this ad and you get up to 15% off custom print orders over 100 bucks. 15%. So again, go to MinorThreadCO.com and tell them your boys at Grown Up Christian sent you. And we're back with our guest, Jay Baker. Jay, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. Yeah, thanks for being here. So You're welcome. This might be a controversial topic to start out on. Um, but I recently watched the eyes of Tammy Faye movie mm -hmm. that uh, came out last year. Um, and you appeared briefly in the movie as an infant played by actress Callie Lippian. What? <laughs> yeah. Which is a progressive <laughs> choice, but yeah. looking at, and I don't want to throw shade or anything, but like I found Callie's representation of you to be sort of one-dimensional <laughs> yeah, yeah the word wooden comes to mind i, I don't yeah, know our head wasn't big enough to be honest with you i was like an uncle fester type of baby so <laughs> i don't know if that my was daughter was baby. exactly the same as as my daughter um she's very beautiful and cute right now but she was the same she had kind of an uncle fester head but, but i was a c-section so my mom walked out there <laughs> yours didn't get squished and oblong on the way out like no just perfectly round yeah. <laughs> this is amazing how people like all look the same as babies and as you know old people like we all yeah. kind of go back into the mold that we started <laughs> yep. out in and doing the same things yeah no kidding yeah i'm terrified of that that's what a glorious life. Not for me. That'll be great when my kids have to deal with it. But having yeah. it is not what I'm excited about. Revenge will be sweet, oh, children. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what's cool. Everyone's parents always like, if you have, like, I can't wait till you have kids so that way you can see what it's like. But even if you don't have kids, they're going to be like, gotcha anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Unless your kids send you away. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's getting so much more popular. I'm excited. Yeah. So we'll see. Well, so we're pretty excited to talk to you. And, uh, you know, leading into this, I watched quite a few interviews with you on different mediums and stuff. And uh, um, I feel well, like I appreciate you're... you doing research. And that's 
rare nowadays. I had a podcast for a while called this one punk, uh, not one punk, it was called uh, This Is Radiocast. Man, I spent so much time doing research and I'm always surprised how many people don't do research. Yeah, it's at least good to know a little bit about where you're coming oh, yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Everyone wants, everyone thinks they're Mark Marin. It's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Mark, Mark Marin was my inspiration originally. Actually, he was my, my inspiration, but I really did a lot of notes and stuff. I was on Mark Marin's podcast once. He was really cool. Oh, Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. I was on, um, you know, his podcast. Um, I was putting a bunch of quotes of his up on Twitter and Instagram and stuff. I was a big fan of his and his assistant was like, hey, would you like to be on the show? And I was like, yeah. And like, well, if you can make it out to the garage, I'm like, I had never paid for a plane ticket to go be on a podcast ever. <laughs> and I was just like, yep, whoop, whoop, flying out there and, um, and, and did the interview with him. Actually, it's funny because my, my, my manager at the time accidentally drove to his house rather than picking me up. So I took my first Uber and he's like, just take an Uber. And I was like, what's an Uber? I, mean, I don't know what an Uber is, you know, so. But yeah, I was uh, I was like two thirty seven or something. I can't remember, but it was it was it was like one of those that episode, around that, and uh, it was yeah, it was great. You know, oh, that must really be so raw. cool. No, like that podcast OG. Yeah, yeah. So I was able to go into the you know into his, his his garage and you know it was just I just was like you know I'm just gonna go all the way out on this one, and we did, and it was really great. So what's his address? i'd have to to go back in my history for that (laughs) yeah i watched an interview with you and larry king did you know him well i just knew him from the show you know we'd have a little bit of conversation before and after um but he was always quite fond of my mom and um quite fond of me i get i guess you know because he would have me on and and on he had me on a show after cnn as well and i've been on a show three or four times so when my book came out, he had me on a show. And so he was always really pretty generous to our, to my family. Um, and, and thought a little bit outside of the box, you know, outside of the normal media way of thinking. So yeah, he was, he was cool. He did seem like a pretty gracious I think. Uh, so I feel like I, I came into this, you know, I'd heard your family's name before and I knew a little bit about your dad just from stuff that had popped up on social media and things like mm-hmm. that. But, uh, I really like uh, was surprised at the scope of the the initial like controversy and things like that. And I feel like it almost seems to me like the media frenzy around your family was kind of a precursor of what was to come. Cause that was like pre OJ trial. That was yeah. prior to a lot of the big, like uh, it was huge know, planted yeah. flag deal. It was, yeah, it was uh, everywhere. Um Every type of media. I mean, it was, you know, Saturday Night Live skits, jokes on all the late night talk shows, every news outlet, every, you know, rag magazine in the grocery stores. Obviously, there wasn't the Internet at that time, thank God. Um, but of course, maybe it would have been shorter had the Internet been around. It would have been like just a week. Coverage, I know. You only have you to know? wait for the next controversy before you right. yeah. push you to know, the wayside. For then, it was like a year and a half. I mean, it was just nonstop. Um, so yeah, it was, it was everywhere, you know, there, and it was like, everybody was, you know, had their mind made up. It was really, yeah, it was, it was huge. I mean, I don't think people understand. I didn't even realize how, you know, here I grew up in this and then really until the scandal happened until the end of our, my parents' ministry, did I realize how big it really was, you know, yeah. through like talking about this with some people and stuff, I, I 
there's a friend of mine that I know through work. And uh, when she was in her like early teens, her mom sold her house in Tulsa and moved to your guys's compound, the uh, PTL, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there was no walls around it, so it wasn't a compound. But yeah, there was there were neighborhoods that my parents had built up around the outside of the area. So if people wanted to come live, I mean, I think the idea was is like retirees would come and live amongst the place and could you know go to church there and kind of have a safe community to live in or and that kind of thing. But yeah, it was interesting hearing her talk about it because she was saying that like you know she wasn't really allowed to watch any TV or listen to any music or anything except for PTL. So, Mm. you know, being poor in Tulsa, like all of a sudden realizing, you know, that they're up uprooting their lives and moving to uh, the Carolinas. She said it was like this grand adventure. And she talked about like being on the, the, the premises there because her mom would work during the week. And then she'd spend like two days working at PTL and I guess the the organization gave them like kind of like an all access pass to Heritage USA and stuff. So yeah. she's like, man, for two years, I just like had the run of the place. And she said it was like two of the most amazing years of her childhood, wow. basically. Yeah. And she specifically was talking about like Christmas at PTL and just what. A- yeah, it was really amazing. Christmas, like all the Christmas lights and people would like the the freeway was like five miles away and there'd be like 10 miles of traffic. So there would literally be miles of traffic that went on to the freeway for people just to come and see the Christmas lights. Um, that was all over Heritage USA. It's hard to explain a Heritage USA, um, because, you know, it, it was such a bizarre type of thing. To, and it's still nothing like it's ever existed. Like for me, when my dad would fly and speak at these other huge churches, I was always like, oh, this is great, but where's the other stuff? Like, where are the hotels? And where are the other ministry facilities? And where's the water park? Or where's this? You know what I mean? And they're like, you know, no other church has had that. And so it was, it was, it was quite wild as a kid growing up in that, because that's what I knew, you know, the art, my school was there. um, Because, you know, they had a Christian school. And so yeah, but Christmas, I was in plays, you know, I was in Christmas plays, they have like three or four different places, you could, you know, plays four or five, six, seven plays going on, because you go to different places. And like, I think it was like 130 different services during the week. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was something really insane. Like, I mean, I, I had no idea all the stuff that my, my, the folks had going on there, you know, until years later when I kind of had to work on my dad's appeal and, and go through and study all that stuff. And I was like, wow, like, this is like, you know, you know, I, I've seen you guys had that Christian nightmare guy on there, but it, it would be like more like a Christian's dream, you know, like yeah, I can just go to services all the time. Unfortunately, it was all like probably assemblies of God theology. So it probably wasn't a lot of solid theology, but you know, it'd been cool. I would have been like philosophers and theologians and, you know, maybe had, had it lasted, I could have had an influence on that, but yeah, but um, yeah. So it was really an interesting place and to be a kid there, you know, because there was an arcade and there was a roller skating rink and there was a water park and there was pools and miniature golf and rest. They only have Christian video games in the arcade. No, 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 they had pack. No, they didn't have any Christian video games. See, that's the thing though. It's like, that's what we've done is we've, we've created these like images and ideas of, of what Christianity was. And for me, it wasn't that way. Like I was allowed to listen to like run DMC and, my dad took me to Striper when all the other Christians were like, I mean, I mean, literally took me to a bar and they had to put us on the top because they were afraid they were going to hurt my parents. 
like put us up at the top part of the bar that was closed so we could watch Striper play in this tiny little bar oh, in the nice. middle of, of, of like Rock Hill, North Carolina, you know, or South Carolina. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was, um, no, I mean, like the, the guy who did all the video games was, was, was he was a foot doctor who got into the arcade business. It was da- Doc's games or something and yeah so i mean it was like pac-man and centipede and miss pac-man and donkey kong and that's so wild right yeah yeah so much that i didn't i only i only realized recently how much of um an event like a destination point that was you know yeah it was disneyland disney world and then heritage usa so it was the third most visited place in the united states at the time wow I had, yeah, I, I just didn't realize the scope of it until recently. Honestly, uh, and you've probably heard this talking point a million times, but uh, this, the season, the new season of Righteous Gemstones and them building up their water park and building up uh, their no, amusement I, park. I, I haven't even, I've never even watched the show, to be honest with you. Okay. All I know is that they, the intro to their show, not the show, but the show that's in the show <laughs> is like almost exact. I mean, no. They ripped it off almost shot for shot from the okay. show. But um, besides that, yeah, no, I, I haven't watched it. Like for me, I'm like, man, you guys should hire me as maybe someone who helps you with that show. But, <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, like when you when I've lived through it and then to see people caricaturize it in a way that's like, sure, I don't know. Sometimes to me, it seems like it adds a little bit to scapegoating and to like easy targets and um that was my life, you know? I mean, it's hard enough seeing a film made about your family's life and, yeah. and hearing people have all sorts of opinions on who your family was. Um, but for me, yeah, to me, that's just like, I, I, you know, I think it would be too cringeworthy to watch. For yeah. me. Like it would just be, because I've heard some stuff that they have like really hit on the nose. Like some people are like, oh man, they really got this. Have you seen it? I'm like, no. It was like when all those, when those comedians were doing all the videos making fun of my dad a few years ago, because my dad's kind of obsessed with the end times now. And, um, I never ever like, have you seen these? I'm like, no, you know, I haven't even seen my dad's show, much less that. So, <laughs> you know, like I just, you know, that's not where I need to go because people forget like there's other people on the sides of, of scapegoating and jokes and things like that. You know, not that we shouldn't have jokes. I think comedians are brilliant and genius, you know, um, and I don't think we should put muzzles on comedians. But um, at the same time, you know, there's people who are part of it so for me it was like i grew up with enough of that stuff as a kid you yeah. know I, i'm trying to be a good dad and run my own thing and yeah and, uh, no that totally you know, makes study sense. theology and philosophy and you know so. i could see why a hitting hitting that like striking that chord would make it not worth the time but it was just i when i was watching it and i saw my thought was this is they're not hitting this list. my thought was, right. this is insane like i this was i never yeah, experienced yeah. or saw anything like this and that's when i'm like Oh shit! No, this is something that isn't. This was happening. Yeah, so I was yeah. actually really surprised by that. But that's the only reason I'm recent to understanding the scope of. But, but like, yeah, like, like I mean, I can remember being a kid and being with my dad and shoveling sand out of the the, the pool at the water park because they kept trying to get you know they had to get fire code and all these different safety codes passed and and uh, I got to go down some of those slides the first time. I mean, I thought it was a really even then it seemed like you know I mean here I was probably nine ten years old but even then i was like this is kind of a weird idea you know um and i think that's where the everybody thinks it was a theme park because they had that you know that was about it i mean i think there was a merry-go-round there and that i think that was about as themey as it got but um but 
yeah so like even i was like oh this is a little bit weird but it was also great as like a kid to be like testing out water slides you know and i'd come down and i'd be like oh no my backs rip open i think you might want to do something with that slide you know <laughs> and be laughing though because you're like i just got to go down a huge water slide and i'm bleeding you know i'm nine years old and this is amazing you know um but I, I, then you start to realize it's like, oh, you know, families aren't going to come if like the kids just have to sit through like puppetry ministry all day, you know? So oh. I think my parents were like trying to be like, oh, if we give them roller skating, if we give them a park, if we do this stuff, you know, parent people are more likely to come out and, and do this because the kids won't be like bored out of their mind watching like, you know, Southern gospel singers for, you know, a, a month. Be like, you know, I never want to go back. <laughs> 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 you know that's like, like uh, hell, summer hell for camp. the children and like yeah it would be like summer camp just kind of cool but it's cool because it only lasts like three days you know um after a while you you know you start to lose it but that was it was cool growing up there you know i mean we also had security guards and things like that so it was pretty much safe you know i mean it was a safe place to kind of be able to play and, and do stuff and hang out with people and and you know and a kid and when you're a kid in the like 80s you know you go on all these adventures you know you get on your bicycles and you go on adventures and you know we would find the most dangerous places there you know like <laughs> if there was something broken down or not working or abandoned anywhere within like you know an hour ride of a bicycle we would you know we'd find it or, <laughs> you know or having you have surrounded by all this cool stuff and then we're building like tiny forts in the woods you know like because yeah water park's cool but this tiny fort with rusty metal on it is way cooler you know <laughs> you gotta have a good story about you or one of your friends getting hurt somewhere in the park doing stuff like that oh no we constantly got hurt i mean even like one time i we, we took you know we had motorcycles me and my my neighbors we, they had we had motorcycles that we would keep there at on the grounds but i was supposed to get my dad's permission to use them and oh my gosh i mean one time i was like I left without getting permission and oh, I got in big trouble. I got spanked because back then you could still spank. And um, we're driving around, you know, and, and my other buddy's on his three wheeler and I'm on my Honda 50. Okay. I'll give you an idea. It's like it's a clown motorcycle. It's very tiny. I had one <laughs> tiny of kid. Okay. And, uh, and my friend with the three wheeler comes up and I turn and he goes, Phew! and his three wheeler just lands on, me, just oh. knocks the wind out of me. And I find out literally probably 20 years later that it broke my sternum that I had a rib that was poking out my back. I finally got that <laughs> fixed, you know, but everybody, all my dad was just like, you know, Oh, you shouldn't have been doing that. You know, you need to walk it off, you know, yeah. walk it off. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, three, three wheelers like, are so like comically dangerous. It's like giving yes, a kid yeah. a, a bag and be like, put this over your head. That'll be fun. <laughs> and this kid was the most hyperactive child in the world. Like this kid should not even been on anything motorized at all. But <laughs> that's so funny. I, it's yeah. three wheelers are notorious, well, and they flipped over. We'd be yeah. going up hills, and these things start to flip over, and like kids were like breaking their backs on them and all yeah. this stuff. Oh, yeah, it's like so dangerous. <laughs> for sure, for <laughs> sure, dangerous. So you had full run of the place your entire childhood. I mean, you were from as early on as you can remember. That was your. That was your well, work. yeah, but I mean, it was also being built too. So you know, like I walked through all those buildings when they were like you know from foundation until finish. You know, with my dad, my dad was a workaholic. You know, so I had I had to have bodyguards because we were you know constantly told that you know people were going to kidnap us and all oh, this shit. stuff. And 
Yeah. yeah. So, so I had to have me and my sister both had to have security guards, which was nice because then you, I could really go almost anywhere, but you also had an adult looking over you. So sometimes we'd try to lose them, but, yeah. um, you know, Pause that security guard, some stress. Yeah, I know real stress. <laughs> like I feel bad now. I'm like, God, they're probably like, I'm going to get fired. You yeah, know? I know. And, um, <laughs> As soon as weeping. you couldn't see you, I just find second. them weeping in the corner. Oh, okay. <laughs> I hate okay. this job. <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't blame it. But luckily, I had a few couple really cool bodyguards that were really, you know, they became like family to me. Um, you know, I mean, they were helping raise me in a way. So it like was like Denzel Washington and Man on Fire. Or yeah, no, I mean, which one? Sadly, it? <laughs> sadly enough, it's true though. I mean, like you know, like one of my security guards taught me how to ride a bike. You know, and like, wow. um, so it was, you know, and. I've never played sports, but I know how to throw a spiral football because, you know, my security guard was also a coach, you know? So, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was cool. You know, I mean, I got in trouble, you know, I, I would play Miami vice in the hotel lobby. I mean, in the hotels, because they'd have all these, you know, the hallways and hotels, you know, and so I'm running down and back then toy guns looked real until all the kids started getting killed. So, you know, I'm running down screaming like freeze my device and having my friends with fake bags of flour, which pretend to be cocaine. You know, I probably should have been watching my device at that age. That's a great game. Yeah. But, um, and, and the fake money and all that stuff, but yeah, you know, it was cool, but my dad, you know, tried to, my, both my parents were like, you know, okay, you can't take anything from the store. You got to make sure you at least write it down onto an account, you know, and all that stuff. So I think they tried to keep me from being too much of a hellion. Um, but it was, it was definitely interesting and fun. I mean, I was, I was there till I was 11. So yeah. No, is that the point at which everything happened basically? Yeah. Everything happened. Everything fell apart. You know, I had, we were actually, my parents, my mom had overdosed on Valium and the, you know, and what I was, it was just me and my mom, actually, we were in Cal, we were in Tennessee on vacation. And she overdosed on Valium. So for some reason, the doctors flew her out to California. And I probably wasn't the best idea, but they did anyway, because they knew doctors out there. I think it was like, you know, because scandals weren't normal. Yeah. So we fly out to California, but my mom's just like, her mind's gone. You know, she just can't even focus. And it was really scary. And so we were out, we decided to take some time off. My mom went to um, Betty Ford and, uh, that's when Jerry Falwell and all those guys came out and said, Hey, you know, Jim, we know that you had an affair or a tryst, I guess. I don't know. Whatever a one-time affair is, affair means carrying on. So I don't know, whatever, adulter, <laughs> you adulterized. Um, Adulterated. <laughs> yeah. So, so they came and said, we, this thing's going to come out. Jimmy Swagger. I mean, it was really like, like, like a, a weird novel that, you know, like, so Jerry Fall comes out, says, Jimmy Swaggart's going to destroy you. But if you give us your church, we'll save you, you know, and that type of thing. And it was this kind of like switcheroo, you know, it was like, oh, oh no. Wow. So some, you know, we're actually going to no. take it. Yeah. It was hey, crazy. We, we graduated from Liberty. We are not going to sit here and listen to anyone say anything bad. <laughs> Amen. <about laughs> Grandpapa Jerry. Grandpapa Jerry. I met Jerry Falwell, actually. Um, when I was 16, because he wanted to visit my dad in prison, and I didn't want him to visit my dad, because I was like, this guy's going to come in and kill my dad. Like, I honestly was like, this guy's already done enough. Like, why would we trust this guy? And my dad sat me down and, and started, like, reading to me from like, this book, something about the coats of many colors, and, um, and the importance of forgiveness, and how we have to forgive our enemies and that kind of stuff. So my dad finally said, listen, you go meet with Jerry Falwell. And if you decide it's okay for him to come, then he'll come if you don't want him to come. And I remember my dad's lawyers were so angry because they really wanted Jerry Falwell to come for some reason. 
And then my dad was like, nope, my son's going to make that decision. What did he want? I think he felt like one, like it must have been his biblical duty. And I think he felt probably that there was, you know, if the man had any guilt whatsoever, I think he felt it a little bit. You know, I think maybe if he had, you know, uh, any remorse, I think maybe he was like, oh, you know, we really destroy these people's lives. And um, and so he came and visited once. And I mean, of course, it's kind of like a biblical mandate that we're supposed to visit people in prison. Like even like um, Billy Graham came and visited my dad once. You know what I mean? It was kind of like, we're going to do what we have to do. (laughs) But most people did. At least he didn't put him there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Can you you flesh that out just a little bit more uh, with Jerry and um, and his influence on destroying or whatever destroying your life well i mean they came in and said you know basically what they were doing was it was kind of a hostile takeover in a way but it was was after he after the year after after the arrest after everything kind of oh no 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 this This is right before that this is prior to that when Fawell and them came out to california and he had his lawyers and said the lawyers were representing us and he had all of his guys with him i think he had like 10 guys with him and they're all in black suits it was very intimidating um he had his, his, his lawyer, I believe his name was, uh, gosh, I, can't, I think it was Roy Gutman, but I remember him shaking my hand and he was like, I think it was the same lawyers, the penthouse guy. But anyway, he was like, oh, we're going to take care of you. You know, he kind of came in like to my dad as like this father figure, like, we're going to save you. You know, you give the ministry over to us for six months, you know, and then you come back, you know, just let us, okay. you know, otherwise you're going to get destroyed by Jimmy Swagger and, and you, you'll have time to, you know get your life together, whatever. So my dad's like, great. But he's like, you have to sign everything over to us and you have to have all the, um, all your board members resign and I have to put in my own board, which that would be obviously how you have to take over a church because the board kind of is the bosses. And so um, he did that. And um, my mom told him not to, and she was right. She kind of felt something was off and um, he did it. And then my dad would go to prison two years later because they said uh, he, wire fraud and mail fraud but they said he had never planned to finish building uh heritage usa and um that there were not enough rooms if everybody came at once and so that he had overbooked timeshares and all this stuff and so that was basically what my dad went to prison for it wasn't for stealing money but they always say ponzi scheme that's what they they made it out you know rather than being like bilking you know they always say bilking people out of 170 million dollars you know and it was like no it, it wasn't that it that he was they thought that he was like you know a ponzi scheme basically and um so so yeah so that's what he went to prison for and originally got like 45 years we got us you know got him down to five served five and then i think he had to do two years out you know going to to do all that stuff but um but yeah so it was it was uh yeah it was weird life man you know it was it was really strange to go through because then you know i went through high school and, and and was in a Christian school for a little while too. And, you know, all the teachers had opinions and everybody had opinions. It was actually public school was actually easier because it was like, at least I was only fighting students rather than teachers, you know? Yeah. I imagine um, in public school. Um, I mean, I guess it was obviously a national news story, but yeah, probably didn't pay as much of attention. Like, yeah, I, I mean, there were some, the radar a little more. there were some kids that were bastards, you know, I mean, in, in high school, I felt like I had the whole baseball team wanted to kill me, but I wasn't sure if that was because of who my parents were or because of their girlfriends. That's kind of smooth in high school. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah. So, I mean, you know, you had the everything like, you know, I got in really trouble because I almost got in a fist fight with a guy, 
guy in, well, I did get in a fist fight with a guy in, I think it was history class. Cause he asked me how my dad liked getting raped in the ass in prison and that kind of thing. And Jesus. oh. Yeah, so you uh, you get stuff like that. Yeah, no, every now I mean, and it's then. it's pretty. Uh, I feel like that's very lowbrow go to joke for high school kids. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, but what was worse was is like in the Christian school, which was like a Baptist Christian school in Orlando. The teachers, you know, it was like the teachers seemed to be more judgmental than the students. Like the students almost seemed to be more out of the loop. It seemed to be the opposite, and then the huh. teachers were always kind of like, "Oh, this is Baker's kid," you know, like. It was, you know, I couldn't sneeze without this teacher's like writing me up for it. It was awful, you know, and, and, and this was when my dad was going through, going through his trial, you know, and I mean, everything in my life is falling apart and, you know, you've got these teachers who are treating me like, you know, like I'm a problem child rather than like, oh, this kid's going through a lot, you know? Right. And even if you were uh, acting out uh, to not be able to look at the reason why and make sense of that. Right. Pretty right. Right. Bad on their part. Yeah, it was pretty out of touch. Um, and how, I long think that the, was, yeah. how long did the trial go? How long did that last? And I imagine you were around for a lot of that. Yeah, well, I ended up having to drop out of the Baptist school for a little while. So I went to be with my dad um, and see him a little bit. But I think it went on for like a good three or four months. I remember yeah. that there was that tornado, um, Hugo, the tornado came through North Carolina and it came into Charlotte. It was like the, the huge, like huge tornado came really in deep into the Carolinas. And, um, you know, I remember all that stuff, uh, people saying things during the court cases and, and it, it was, yeah, it, I don't think I probably should have gone into the courts, but I did, you know, I sat in a few of the trials, you know, and the weird thing was, is I remember it was like people like testifying that my dad fired somebody because they put the wrong thing on the hot dog or something like that, you know, and I'm like, I just never, just, I was like, what's he going, what's he in trouble for? You know, like, yeah, they're like trying yeah, to like witch hunt. Yeah, well, it's almost like they're, they're what they're building a case against his character so they can show that yeah. it was and, a nefarious it, move instead of just like a shitty businessman move or something like that. Yeah, it seems like it was kind of based on like, well, he lived a good lifestyle. He had a nice lifestyle and, and maybe he wasn't a good leader. And, you know, I mean, honestly, in Bible college, I think if you're going to like sign up to be a pastor, they should probably teach you how to do business and how to get a nonprofit and how to, you know, hire tax yeah. accountants and things like that. Right? <laughs> Just like they should teach us how to do taxes in high school. You know, that, that would be great. Sense. You know, so like, you know, and my parents were kicked out of Bible college because they got married. Isn't that weird? Like in the, you know, so in the late fifties, early sixties, you couldn't be married in Bible college. So they got kicked out. Wow. And they just went on the road and, Yeah. And so they went on the road and did puppet shows together. These Christian kids shows and got hired by pat robertson to be on his network and that's kind of how it all started no so wait, he's it, aged well yeah. i really missed out i'd started in puppet ministry and i didn't stick yeah. with it and i could have could have you could have ridden that horse tone yeah you know? i mean it's kind of like you know the funny thing about like watching the movie about my mom because i mean there's some things that aren't completely accurate there but it's not very different than like a rocky met like a documentary on a rock star or things like that you know i mean these people who just kind of start out and just things take off, you know, and, and life gets crazy. So yeah, it was, it was bizarre, right? It is weird the way things just uh, personality, right place, right time, like charisma. Some, yeah. You yeah. put some people in front of a camera and they're like, nothing's going to happen here. And then you put some people in front of it and shit blows up in a good way. Yeah, well, I mean, it was like, them, it, well, well, you know, for my dad in a way, it was like, like all of us with the internet, you know? And I, it's so funny that we don't see these parallels often or we decide to ignore them, you know, 
but for my dad and a lot of these guys, it was like the television was like the internet. Like, oh, we should be online. Oh, we should be on TV because this is how we can reach more people with whatever our, our deal is. And for them, it was religion and Jesus and stuff. So they were just like, oh, this is a great idea, you know, but it costs a lot of money. And it, you know, and these guys are doing them like my dad had a television network, so they had no commercials. You know, so it's like, it's like, you know, like public access, you got to raise funds and do all this stuff. But then my dad wasn't happy with that enough. So he wanted people to be able to come to the thing. And so he starts building hotels and a water park and more churches and unwed mother's home, you know, prison ministry and all, you know, and all these hired, all these staff and therapy and marriage counselors, all these people, you know, teachers and so now he's having to raise like a million dollars every two days. And wow. of course he, w- he was into the prosperity gospel. So at the time, I think that was a bit helpful for him. Um, now he's more like doom and gloom. Um, but back then he was all like, you know, oh, why, you know, why doesn't God want us to be happy and have a good time? You know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that is quite a shift. Yeah. That I was going to ask you how many survival food buckets do you think I need for my wife and I for the <laughs> upcoming Russian war? Well, yeah. Well, the funny thing I find about that is like, I don't really pay attention to a lot of that stuff. Um, but <laughs> when COVID happened, I was like, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Good thing I right? got 40 buckets of what, grits. What if he was right the whole time, you know? Um, no, and then he, he, did, he stopped sending that stuff to me because I told him not to. When I lived in New York, he sent me some of that stuff. And I literally lived right my, where my P.O. box was actually right next to a um, Salvation Army center so i literally would just get it out oh oh it's that go over to the salvation army and donate it to them Be like here you go um because that was never really that's not my thing but it is funny to see like how horrific things have gotten in the world and um you know you're like oh you know like now you're uh, kicking you know. yourself for sending back that well, yeah i'm like well, we all, you know everybody's gonna be like can we go to your dad's house now yeah. i don't think i'm allowed to go so good luck you know it's it's interesting to, to like look at some of the stuff that that you went through because I feel like you you almost got a glimpse of some of what was to come on a grander scale or you know or to, or to become more commonplace. Well, you know, one with the media frenzy that is like a burn it all down and yeah. you know anything to get the views and clicks and stuff like that. You know, I mean, it sounds to me like that's a lot but, of what happened. And then and realizing that, like realizing how how the media works to divide divide and conquer really and keep us divided in a, and you know whatever sells whatever the hot story is you know and how lazy some reporters are about checking facts and different things like that so i would say like i felt like almost like 90 percent of the stories that came out about my family weren't true you know or there was some other story behind it you know that wasn't this like oh you know I mean, I remember when my mom moved, she got married and, and moved to California and she gave me the choice if I wanted to stay in Florida and finish school or go with her to California. And I said, I want to stay in Florida with this family friend and all this. And like a week later, Inquirer magazine, Tammy Faye abandons her disabled son. And then there's just like a picture of me looking really kind of homely on the, on the, on the cover oh of the, the Inquirer. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you read it, it talks about my disability as dyslexia, which is true. I have dyslexia. But I mean, it was just that constant, like, you know, like three things you're going to want to check out. And number three is going to blow your mind. You know yeah, what I mean? And you're like, oh, it's I like a YouTube uh, thumbnail. It's like, yeah, no, but that's where they get it from. <laughs> you know, they make it sound and, like she uh, didn't put the brakes on and left your wheelchair on a hill. Or right. Something. Exactly. <laughs> you know, we just left him there. 
So, so, you know, growing up, yeah, you come really disillusioned. I mean, even recently, like I had someone, some, uh, a church historian actually saying some stuff about uh, my family and it was wrong. And so I contacted them and was like, you know, cause this person was kind of a colleague of mine. I was like, Hey, listen, you've got this wrong. This is what happened. I actually know the story. I sat down and me and my dad discussed it when he was in prison and they're like, well, no, I, I, I saw Wikipedia and I'm like, no, what? <laughs> and they're like, well, they're talking about Charles Shepard who wrote that book in the eighties. I'm like, yeah, but he was a news reporter that didn't ever meet, even meet with the family or anybody close to the family, you know? And it was one of those things where it was like, they're like, well, well, you're just kind of naive because you're the son. And of course, they're not going to tell the son that type of thing. And I was just like, wow, you know, it's like, it's really amazing. Like I can be 46 years old and I'm still, you know, you know, the naive kid. And uh, yeah, so, it's not like you haven't done your fair share of forthright conversations about the, like, yeah, you've yeah, never, you yeah. never shown any indication of trying to just like protect a family name. You know, you've kind of gone off and done your own thing to, and to accuse you of that is probably really aggravating yeah it is aggravating i also think people prefer that i would just throw my family under the bus um but life is very complicated and full of contradictions i mean i read i've been studying hegel lately and 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 hegel talks a lot about the contradictions that we have in our own lives and and what that looks like and and people don't see that you know and so when the right does one thing and then the left does another thing and then we we go at war with each other, you know, and we don't see like, there's like, we are all carrying contradictions with us. And then we scapegoat each other. I think the weird thing about my family scandal was, is that both right and left kind of like scapegoated my family at the time. Like they kind of took all their anger towards Jerry Falwell's and Jimmy Swaggart's who preached against sin and music and all this stuff and just put it towards kind of like the people who weren't really that, but they needed like somebody you know, one of these TV preachers to follow. And so the ones that they pick, you know, so they said horrible things about my mother. They said horrible things about my father. They said all these awful things. And, and, and they, it was just, um, I don't want to say it was unfair because there, there was some stuff that was bizarre. You know, there was things that they did that were different and strange and, and definitely Christianese bringing some Christian stuff to the world. That's not, doesn't look normal, but at the same time, it was very much like, Oh, where's the forgiveness and where's the grace and where's all this stuff, you know? And, and, and you never really saw that part of it. Um, and so I remember just thinking as I got older, I was like, you know, if my parents, this happened to my parents, like what happens to like small people in ministry when their lives fall apart? You know, does anybody show up for them? And if people don't show up for the bigger ones, are they going to show up for the smaller ones? And, and started to really recognize an inconsistency, especially in evangelicalism. And uh, so for me, I was like, I remember reading Galatians, the book of Galatians for the first time and being like, well, what's this grace thing? Why aren't people talking about, you know, and calling my dad and be like, why weren't we talking about grace more and restoration and, you know, that we're all fall short, you know, that kind of thing. And it seemed to be just completely opposite of what the Bible taught of how everything was going on at that time. So it's really strange. It's kind of become like a sort of a tired joke, but you know, it's, we look at it like cancel culture or whatever you want to call it. And like evangelicalism's kind of the original cancel culture they but totally are and i almost see it as like I'm, I'm always bummed out that to see people who call themselves progressives being into cancel culture i'm just like are you kidding me you think we're if you do the same thing that those guys did you think it's going to change people you know i mean one of the things i love about studying dr king is that he was always about restoration for everyone you know because people are like well i won't meet with anybody who doesn't recognize my humanity i get that a lot when i talk about grace 
And I go, well, what, what? Thank God Dr. King didn't say that. And thank God Gandhi didn't say that. People like that, you know, but they were always trying to realize like people aren't our enemy. Misinformation is. And so we have to have these hard conversations, even if they don't recognize us as humans. But when they, when you get into conflict, and this is uh, philo- philosophically true and psych- psychologically true, is you automatically have to recognize the other person, especially if it's face to face conflict as a person. The humanity starts to come. And Dr. King got that. And it's something that I feel like we just continue to repeat over and over again. And I'm like, you know, it's funny because, you know, I watch my progressive friends get really upset about, like, oh, you know, uh, Joe Rogan. Oh, I can't believe he said that, you know, but they're also getting mad that like people are banning books. And I'm like, OK, do we not see the contradiction here? Do we not see, you know, that we're picking and choosing things here? And it might be time to step back and have a bigger conversation. But um, but that's a lot more work. Yeah. And I think I think part of the thing that that is tough because it's it's something that exists in all of us to some extent is like we all have this ugly preoccupation with punishment. Mm-hmm. Like we we love to see someone get what's coming to them. Yeah. And like that never really ends. Like they never get it enough for us to be like, all right, you learned your lesson, you know. It, it seems yeah. like it just continues until we've completely eradicated a person. And, and the first place that I saw that was, you know, in my church, I, I watched them do that to a friend of mine over, you know, some silly stuff. And just basically like we, by the time they were done, there was just no place for him there anymore. Right. And what probably would not want, you know, when you, when you've been so hurt and what they don't realize is like these people who have families and families who are part of the church and things like that, it hurts the family, it hurts the kids. Uh, it hurts everybody involved. And it's strange to me, like how also like people who like, they want to put the blame on one, one place, even in this situation. Oh, it must've been the pastor's fault. Or it must've been that person's fault, you know, but everybody's participating in the system. And, um, you know, it's like being out here in Seattle, you know, I meet people who were part of Driscoll's church and they're like, oh, Driscoll, you're such a pastor and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wait a second. You attended his church. You went there above free will <laughs> every week. <laughs> you, you, you became a pastor on staff there. Um, you knew that he didn't like women preaching and you knew this and this, you know, and why is he a bastard? Like, you know, aren't you kind of like you bought into it as well? Like we all play a part and it, it's hard to, to, uh, accept that, you know, it's hard to accept that even we get like caught up in these things and, and it happens that we're also human. And, uh, you know, and so in some ways I feel like we project even like punishment under the people, cause maybe it's something we feel like we actually deserve, you know, unconsciously. So instead of you know, subconsciously we throw it onto other people. And uh, that's a cool thing about like why I'm a Paulinian speaker um, is because, you know, I feel like Paul, the apostles, like I don't count the pastoral epistles as biblical. I think they're forgeries, but most of Paul's writings were, um, sorry, it's, it's actually true, but that's okay. You don't have to believe me. (laughs) Um, But, you know, like it's all about restoration and getting like, you know, like especially in Galatians is like getting the Gentiles and the Gauls to come together as a community and not destroy each other because they have these different little different ways of thinking in different cultures, you know, and to recognize their each other's humanity. Um, so I feel like if, 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 if you wanted to kind of really live that way of biblical way of living, you know, you would love your enemies, you would work on restoration, you would have hard conversations, you would never cancel anyone. You know, you wouldn't be firing people because, you know, stupid reasons. I, I recently met with this guy and he was telling me like, 
yeah, they kicked me off of the leadership team because I had confessed that I was looking at porn. I was like, you know, I see the only difference between you and the other five guys there kicking you off is that you're the only one who confessed it. Yeah. He's like, yeah, actually, you're right. One of those guys came to me years later and told me they looked at porn. Well, I'm like, you know, that's, of course they look at porn. They have a computer, you know, it's there. It's, you know, it's not like when I was a kid and you had to like hope to find a, a magazine somewhere, you know, whatever, somebody's dad's drawers. My parents didn't have it. So I'd have to go to like my secular friends and steal their dad's playboys. But, <laughs> you know, now porn's at like the fingertip, like who's not going to look at porn, you know, that way. And so, yeah, it's just so much hypocrisy and, and, and so much like magical thinking. And I think that's what the church has become such a dangerous place. And, but, uh, you know, at the same time, I feel like the critics of the church too have kind of taken a lazy way out. And I think we just lack critical thinking and deeper thinking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that a lot. I think that there's not a lot of academic rigor on either side. You kind of just say carte blanche, all religions bad. See what happens when you have this, when you think this way or that, um, but of course, the other option to just let it carry on as it is, is not helping. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like legalism kind of is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> and the problem is that's the one thing we don't let go of. You know what I mean? Like we have legalism and Christianity, like screw this. I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with this. It's horrible. And then we become the other side of it and we become legalistic. And then we're like, and now we're going to attack those guys with the same vigor that we attacked. They attacked us or attacked these people. And it just becomes attack, 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 this legalism and virtue signaling and just who's in this camp and who's in that camp. And so it's like, it's, that's not how you change things. You change things through having good conversations through friendships. You know, what is it that Dr. King said, love is the only force capable of changing an enemy into a friend, you know? And, and when I say we argue well, is one of the things I say a lot at Revolution. It's like, we have to learn to argue well is because yes, it's, there's going to be arguments, but we're going to argue well and, and embrace conflict because if we avoid conflict, we end up just going straight to war. And we learn to sometimes even compromise or, or find the dialectic of, of, you know, the two opposites and say, what's the truth above the dialectic? What's the truth above the contradiction, you know? Now, that, uh, that being said, it's got to really uh, hurt your feelings, what was done to your friend and contemporary, Jerry Falwell Jr. <laughs> I imagine you guys were tight. Yeah, we were close, you know. I had an invitation to the hillbilly. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 it was supposed to be a white trash party or something. Um, did he play basketball with you or did he mostly just watch from the sidelines? <laughs> I don't, I never met him. I know that they came around a few times when I was a kid, when they the took takeover happened. Cause I knew they were friends with one of my friends and I was really angry about it. Or one of my friends, older brothers. And I wasn't happy about that. Um, but no, I never met him. But here's the thing about like Jerry Falwell Jr. Is I often thought like, you know, I don't know if he claimed to be a Christian or not, but like he grew up in that and that was business to him. You know what I mean? And so I was always like, did this guy like, you know, what was it for him? You know, and did he have kind of some ideal, like, was he setting himself up unconsciously to destroy himself? Cause it was just like by the book, you know, and what happened, you know, I mean, I don't know how his dad would have handled it. Cause it was almost like the same thing of like how his dad would have handled my dad. He would cut him loose. Um, I mean, I made a few jokes cause I couldn't resist. You know, I, I did write something and it was like on Twitter and I was like, Hey, listen, if you want to just like have me oversee your job for six months, you know, maybe we can work <laughs> something out. So that was probably a little cold hearted to do, but I you applaud know. you. Oh, yeah. that's a good one, man. <laughs> yeah. I thought maybe he'd find that a little funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that was, yeah, it was messed up, man. It, it, it's, 
it's weird because these guys get in like these bubbles and these their own world and like no accountability and and um you know and they're closed but also my point is like they're closed off to anybody who doesn't agree with them yeah they insulate themselves so when they insulate themselves that's what worries me about like i'm more left obviously very left and and a leftist if you will but it's like i worry about that sometimes on 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 even the left side is that we're going to insulate ourselves so much and that we just keep blocking each other out that we create our own worlds you know and it's like because sometimes we just need somebody to come in and just be like, dude, this is nuts. This is insane. You know, like, look what you're doing. Like, I know this is not going to make you feel good, but you need to hear what you're doing. And I think that's what happens to a lot of preachers. Because I remember asking my dad, like, why do preachers, like, dress crazy? You know, like, why do they wear, like, white suits? And they look at Benny Hinn, he wears this crazy suit. And I was like, ah. and I was just like, you know, I was why, dad? And he was like, well, son. And he said the same thing. You become isolated. And you get around with people and everybody's like, oh, yeah, that looks great. Oh, yeah, that looks great. You know, because they don't want to say, like, you look ridiculous. You look a spaceman. You know what I mean? And he goes, the next thing you know, you look like an idiot because you're surrounded with yourself with a bunch of people who are just like, yes, oh, yeah. Man, just emperor's new clothes shit over and over. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. A, so A true friend will tell you you can't wear a cummerbund with jeans. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I mean, my best friend's from Northern Ireland, and so there's no way I can get away with shit. You know, (laughs) even if I look like freaking Han Solo on his best day, you know what I mean? He's still going to take the piss out of me for, like, my boots or something. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) or Don Johnson in Miami Vice. You know, he's still going to take it. You know, he's like, you know, I could be James Dean. He's like, ah, red's not your color, mate. You know? Um, He's not, you know, so whatever. I don't know. It's good to have people around you who, who, who... who are willing to tell you the truth yeah yeah it probably is lacking in a lot of circles yeah so i, I want to ask what salvaged your did you have a point at which you were like i don't know about any of this shit uh or did you kind of stick with faith like the christian faith and just salvage it like what no that no for, for me it was like around 20 i had developed quite a bit of a quite of a, a ability to drink a lot um I had actually started revolution with some friends of mine in Arizona when I was 18 and 18, 19. And then I quit. I said, guys, I'm done. And I need to go away for a while. And I moved back to Atlanta. I lived in Atlanta because my dad was in prison. The last two years of his prison, he was in Jessup, Georgia. So I moved to Atlanta originally when I was a teenager to be close. So I could go visit my dad. And I moved in with this pastor's family. And, um, but then I went and did revolution and all this stuff after my dad got out of prison. Um, but the reason I left revolution was, is because I thought God hated me. And so I was like, I don't really want anything to do with this. And so I just like, I'm going to drink, I'm going to get a normal job. And that's what I did. And I was living with this pastor's family and, and my buddy DE Polk was um, going to school to become a pastor and all this stuff. And I was just miserable. You know, I would just sit out in front of their house and chain smoke. And then at night go out and drunk and come back and sometimes wake up on the front door. Cause I could get my key to work, you know? And one day I was like, D, like you talk a lot about grace. And honestly, I think you're just trying to help yourself sleep at night because I don't believe this grace shit. I said, but prove it to me if it is really real, like this idea of concept of grace. And he said, read Galatians, read the book of Galatians. So, okay. And I read it, you know, and then he said, read Corinthians, read the, you know, and I was like, whoa, you know, like all these, this concept of this, like you are accepted, you know, really blew my mind. And so um, it just, it kept ringing true to me. And I got all of a sudden I, I, I was like, so God loves me if I'm a drunk in the, you know, on the front stoop of the house, or if I'm like an evangelist, you know? Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. 
And so the next thing I know, I would join, I went and became a part of a 12 step program to get sober because it was like, all of a sudden it wasn't about God's approval or disapproval or any of this stuff. And now I'm 46. So over time it's changed a lot, (laughs) but the one thing that stick true in my message is always grace. So even in times of, of complete disbelief, you know, grace was, is still there. And so yeah, it kind of just developed over time. And I, I continue to speak at festivals and at Christian festivals and do things like that and talk about, like, yeah, we need to love our gay neighbors. We need to love, you know, pray for our president if it was a Democrat, you know, or something that they never wanted to do. And I was always the controversial speaker, you know, oh, you talk too much about grace. You talk too much about this, you know, whatever, you know, but, um, but I was also like what, what a lot of people call deconstruction, right? And nowadays seems like just saying the church sucks. Um, and it's shit, you know, like, oh, church sucks and it's shit. And I don't like that. You know, I'm like, that's not deconstruction, actually. For me, deconstruction is like Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and biblical history and going in and researching all these things and finding out what it was this, all this stuff actually about. You know, I mean, for me, it's a lot of really hard work. And for me, it was hard as dyslexia. I didn't have the internet at the time. So I had to have like 15, like 15 books, but like four or five books out in front of me with like this. What's this Greek word? What is this? You know, what was the history? Why was Rome have this history? And what was their, what was Rome's laws against this? And why were they occupying this territory? And what, you know, and really had to go in and find all that stuff out. Um, And just realizing like the American church is really far away from, from the original concepts of Christianity. Um, And I mean that like liberal church and conservative church. I don't, I'm not, I'm a capital C. I'm not saying either side has got it right. You know, I'm saying like we've really moved away from something. Um, and so for me, it, it, it has just become more and more like to the point where now we call revolution gathering. We don't call it church anymore. I'm not comfortable with the title pastor anymore, you know, because I see so much division within the church. That that's just not my thing. And so for me, you know, I question atonement theory and all things like that. So some of the really big ones, like I said, you know, pastoral epistles to me are, 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 are really trying to clean up Paul's work. Sorry, guys, are you still there? Yep. Um, but you know, the pastoral epistles are like written to kind of clean up the inclusion of Paul more than, you know, anything. Um, Cause he was probably too inclusive. Uh, so I, you know, I've got those ideas. I also read a lot of philosophy and Paul Tillich and Dr. King and, and things like that. So that's definitely changed how I see things, but also having the life experience that I had, I don't like to take easy shots. You know what I mean? So I don't like to take like, easy shots at people and, and discount them. And I like to try to think critically. So when I see pastors make mistakes or I see Christians make mistakes and do dumb stuff, you know, I try to like take a critical look at it and also look through their understanding and maybe their limited understanding or their lack of critical thinking. Um, and when I see like a lot of scapegoating going on, you know, it's like, it's like, for me, I think theologically about everything, or maybe I deconstruct everything. It, it would be an even better term. Like, so when I see preachers and sneakers, like at first I'm like, oh my God, that guy's shoes are like, it's two months of my rent. Like, I can't even take care of my kids barely, you know, and I pay my rent. And, you know, this guy's buying sweet shoes, you know, but then at the same time, I have to be like, okay, but why is he able to do what he's doing? He's actually got a job. He's actually doing it well. What's happening there? You know, what is he, what, what's he touching in people's lives that makes them able to like not have to think about $2,000 shoes and be successful as a preacher. You know, is he really a scam artist or is he just someone who's just a really an amazing communicator, you know? And so always looking into things like that. Um, not that it, you know, I, just, I don't have a whole lot of room to judge people, you know, I have my own shit, you know? So it's like my, you know, 
I have 15 pairs of Dickies, you know? (laughs) 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 So I don't know. It's, I'll let you ask the questions instead of them. I guess what the questions are going to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great, man. I, it was, I, I appreciate you going down that road. I, I mean, that's what I've picked up from paying attention to what you've had going on over the past year. I mean, most honestly through doing this, um, yeah. start paying attention to a lot more than I did beforehand uh, and seeing that direction that you're going in uh, or that you've been going in for years. And I'm just tuning into, um, I think is, is great uh, that, it is it's i'm not going to say that i don't sit back and judge people i I do a lot of shit posting and making fun uh and that's what the internet's all about and it does get played out and there are moments you look at that you're like what are we what are we doing um lately i've been seeing people you know talk about you know you oh you you retweet something and make fun of it and you're still publicizing publicizing whatever it is that someone else said that you thought was stupid (laughs) twitter is a fucking weird ass I know like everybody's police. It's like so many people policing. Yeah. Like it's either like, I totally agree with that. And that guy's a son of a bitch. Or it's it's like, like, why would you say that about that person? Or why would you do that? Give that person a voice, even though you're disagreeing, you know, it's like, God, I can't really do anything, you know, but your, your position of withholding, withholding judgment and taking care of your own shit. I, I know it's hard for people to wrap their minds around because if we don't call out the bad, and it, that's different than not judging it too, I guess. But yeah. uh, it, walking that line and figuring it out is what's not really happening super well. Um, so even if you fuck it up along the way, I think the fact that you're talking about it and trying is, is dope. Well, and the fact that we like, you know, we go after people with such verver, vir- vigor, piss and vinegar in a way, <laughs> um, with such venom um, is it's like when we don't know the whole story, you know, and that's always tough for me too, is because I've been on the other side. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, and I know what I like, I remember one time these people were making fun of something of Mark Driscoll. Cause he'd mentioned his kid and his kid was like putting on like fatigues and stuff. Cause he was afraid of the media out in front of their house. Now, honestly, I had almost the exact same thing happen to me when I was a kid, when I had all the media, I put on, I put on like fatigues and went out, took pictures of all the media and all this. Cause your brain can't cope with what's happening to my life. You know, and these people were kind of like, oh, I bet you, oh, I bet you made this up. You know, and I went in, I was like, well, actually, you know, this is something I dealt with as a kid. And honestly, I don't, I, I think as kids should kind of be off, you know, off limits and, you know, and, and people got really pissed at me, you know, and I've had people like other talks, like other things on Instagram or Twitter when I was like on there and people were like, this guy needs to denounce his family, you know, his family did this and he needed, and I'm going in there like, well, it's not that simple, you know, I mean, this is his family, you know, and they're like, you're not adding anything to the conversation. I mean, I swear this time it was like a therapist who was like, you're not adding anything to this conversation. Would you please leave? You know, it's like, so dumb. Oh, oh okay. You know, um, but no, but that's how it is. I mean, it, it, it's everybody's kind of got into this very legalistic like way of thinking and, and very judgmental way of thinking that, you know, it, the world isn't going to change. I mean, the church will definitely die. And if people don't start arguing well, and learning how to communicate and learning how to disagree. Um, social media is not helping, you know? So, but I, I get, I get why we like to get angry. I get why we judge. I mean, I do it too. Uh, also, I mean, we all do it, but it's a kind of thing of asking ourselves, why do we do it? Why do we feel the need to do it? And, um, and I'd say with all the garbage I've been through and all the hell I've been through is it really has helped me love my enemies more, you know? And not be as critical of, of all the, even, I mean, I got like, when I became gay affirming, 
I guess in 2006, I think it was 2005, 2006. And I lost everything. Like any remotely conservative person or not even like middle of the road person or middle left person <laughs> abandoned the, a ship. <laughs> like I had a staff of like six, you know, we had insurance and stuff. everybody, everybody, I had to lay off everybody within like two weeks. You know what I mean? Like all my speaking at like Cornerstone and Life Fest and all these crazy festivals done. Like I was canceled. You know, just call after oh call. My you're, God. Canceled. you're canceled. You're canceled. Oh God. You know, and um, you've gone too far. And my mom's dying of cancer. You know, people are more concerned about, you know, my stance than the, my, my mother's, my, my well-being going through this with my mom, you know, and, and it showed me a lot. So, it, it, but they're so scared. There's so much fear. And I'm grateful that for the experience I've been through, because I don't have to live with so much fear. And I'm able to speak up when I feel like this is the important thing to speak up about. And talk out about, you know, and I remember trying to encourage really big people who like are seen in very progressive circles as, as gods, but like going to some of these people individually saying like, have you thought about being more open and affirming and doing it? And now they're all open and affirming, but like people were like, I can't do it. It costs too much. You know, look what yeah. happened, blah, blah, yeah. you know, and, um, but every, but everybody's on a journey too. And that's the thing is, I don't think it's often we allow time for people to take to take their process, you know, to grow and to learn and things. We want everybody to arrive to where we're at, you know? And like, I honestly think like, you know, my mom is, is getting a lot of good press lately. Is, and a lot of people are thinking think great things about her, but yeah. she was never fully affirmed, you know? And I wonder like, would she have had a place in today's world where everything is like, no, you got to make a decision. You got to either say, yes, you're with us or you're against us. And, and if you can't, there's no way, there's no middle ground. But what my mom was able to do is she was always able to, reach out to drag queens and conservatives, you know, and little old ladies and, you know, whatever, you know, everybody, gay community, this community. And she just loved everybody. And she was able to do that. And um, and it it makes me worry that we don't have a place for that anymore. Or like when I look at like, I know when Shane Claiborne a few years ago spoke at um, Wild Goose Festival, um, a lot of people protested him because he's never come out as affirming. Oh yeah. And to me, I'm like, man, this guy is like a saint in so many ways. Like, you know, he's turning guns into farming equipment and fighting the death penalty and all this stuff is like, you know, maybe we should make some time for him. You know, and I've had conversations with him too, you know, but the thing is like, maybe we've got to like realize that not everybody arrives where we want them to be, you know? But the fact is, is if we cut everybody out and we make them feel shameful and we do this, we're not going to have anybody in our, in our group. We're not going to build a movement. And I think that's what Dr. King understood was that there was room for repentance. You know, there was room for grace. It's not that you didn't have to pay the price for bad things you did or things like that, but, but there was still enough room for grace for people to be restored, to be built and to be in community. And I'm afraid that we're, we're getting away from it a little bit and that, that hurts us. I think that's true. And that is one of the things that bothers me too, is like the, the hardline stance when it becomes to other people. And, and yet, you know, you talk about contradictions in our own lives, like everybody, no matter how far left and how progressive and stuff, everybody loves someone that ain't yeah. there. And it's hard to, uh, to have a conversation about someone else, someone that the person you're talking to doesn't love or value and say, yeah, this person's behind on things yeah. like race and, and sexuality and gender and stuff like that, but they're not a bad person. Like I love yeah. them. 
they're a good person. They would never treat a person like that with contempt or anything like that. They just, they're just not there ideologically yet. And the call to like cut those people off is ridiculous to me. I don't, I don't understand it. And I think that, you know, that's a lot of times the problem that I have with the de- the quote unquote deconversion movement is that it's so black and white about some of that stuff. And it's like, I think part of it is it's a reflection of, you know, we, there's a, a woman in our discord channel today that was talking about, you know, just the stress and anxiety and stuff like that, that was imposed on her about like dating a non-Christian, mm-hmm. you know, she had dressed a certain way and got a bunch of flack about, you know, being a good role model for the youth group and stuff like that. And like, my initial reaction is like, God, why are those people like that? I, you know, that's so ridiculous, all the problems that they cause. but I did those. Yeah, I mean, I definitely did those things with people in my life. And I maybe that's what makes it so repulsive is knowing that like, you did those, you know, that was you, not that <laughs> yeah, long ago. And, and a lot of it had to do with us being brainwashed by that. But mm-hmm. we're also being brainwashed by other people who've been kind of brainwashed. And I think we want to find like the villain with the top hat curling their mustache. And the problem is it's just not black and white. Like, you know, I mean, there's too many complexities there and nuances. And, and when, we, when we take out the complexities and we take out the nuances and we take out the contradictions, then we can have our black and white world. And, um, you know, to me, that's not where, that's just not humanity, you know, but for me also, it's like, I also like had to read so much to get to the place where I'm at now. You know, I've had to put in a lot of hard work to, you know, I was on a podcast recently and and I had somebody with a doctorate in philosophy, just challenging me on almost everything I believed, you know, I'm all self-taught. The only time I've ever gone to seminary was just to take classes for fun, just so I could learn more. But I never went to seminary. I just asked the seminary if I could come and take some of their classes so I could learn a few more things, you know, that I was looking into. And they said, yes. And I was lucky enough to do that. But it all came from reading and studying. But it's a lot of hard work. And sometimes I just think that it's it, it, people don't want to put in the hard work. So it's much easier to just discount others and start your own group and tear each other apart. But like with some of these, like uh, deconstructionists, I'm friends with them, you know, and sometimes I'll send them messages being like, dude, you were so much better than that. You know, I- I've seen you guys that had like the Christian nightmare guy on, me, you know, and there's times I just want to like send him a mess. I wish I knew who he was, you know, cause he's put up stuff about my dad before. And my mom has this fan site and all these people, he put up something that was on my mom's fan site and people made fun and attacked him and the fan site had to go private. And so I tried to talk to the, the Christian nightmare guy about it, but he wasn't really into it, but I, I told him I got it. You know, I understood where he was coming from, but at the same time, you know, it's just, I think we could be better than this. You know what I mean? It's like, we're taking all these cheap shots, but also like what we don't realize is sometimes when we destroy these people, we don't realize what else we're destroying. We don't realize like, what are these people doing for the homeless? Probably more than us. What are these people doing for the poor? Probably more than us. What are these people doing for people overseas? Maybe more than us, you know? And so it's like, what is there any good coming out of it? And can we talk about that as well? And maybe these can be the things that create a common bond for us rather than taking these easy, like punchline jokes, you know? Um, and, and I get it. Like if, if nobody knows who you are, it's a lot easier to do that shit. But you know, for me, that's what I have a hard time. Yeah. You know, it's like, show me your face. Don't hide, don't hide and make fun of people. You know, I mean, that's like the preacher and sneaker guy. You know, nobody knew who he was for a long time. And of course he was always in with all the evangelicals and hung out with all of them. You know what I mean? And kind of, oh, really? <laughs> you know? And so to me, it's like, you know, uh, 
I, I made my hard statements with my face out. You know, my family is, my dad said a lot of dumb shit that I don't agree with, but his face has been out there, you know? And that's like, for me, it's like, if you're going to judge and you're going to come in hard, you know, you, you should be willing to do that face value face first. Cause that's punk rock. Punk rock is seeking truth and confront and confronting, you know, injustice face on. It's not freaking hiding behind things. And, and so for me, a lot of that time, that stuff, that just, it creates a to- toxic atmosphere. It just becomes so easy to throw people under the bus and everybody's just like, they, we, we relish it. Oh, <laughs> you know, and as much as like, like when people always ask me to denounce my dad, you know, and I'm just like, I'm the one person up until about a year ago, me and my dad haven't talked for over a year. And it makes me really sad because I don't know why. Um, but up until probably a year and a half ago, I could talk to him and have really tough conversations. And so a lot of these people, I was like, yeah, you want me to denounce him and say this, like, he's not my father or he's a horrible man or all this stuff. But I'm like, I can talk to him about this stuff. He, I'm the only, that only voice w- with this opinion that's able to go in and, and have these conversations. And what you're asking me to do is cut that off. He's also my dad, who I never really knew until he was in prison because he was a workaholic. You know what I mean? And prison will bond you with someone. Going through that experience where everything's gone, everything you know, there's nothing left. And it's like death in a cage in a way that those moments bond you together. And no, people don't know what that's like, you know? And so for me, like I have that bond with my dad as almost a prisoner, you know, the least of these. And uh, so, so like, yeah, I'm not happy with him. Yeah. I don't agree with food buckets and things like that. And, and, I, and I, I do find them silly, but, but at the same time, it's like, even know that we're not even talking right now. I still have grace for him because I know he went through a lot of hellish shit. You know, I know he went through a lot of hellish shit as a kid. He was molested from like six to 16 by a pastor, you know, um, you know, and in prison, I know he had to fight for his life quite a few times. I know most of his friends and people turned back on him, you know, maybe he had a mental breakdown in prison. I don't know. Um, But giving grace in this atmosphere, trying to love people and love the others and trying to love your enemies is really hard. And what's even harder is trying to love other people's enemies. And so it, it becomes really tough to do. Like, I feel like I, I can't move in certain circles anymore because it's like all these rules and regulations of what this, what an ally looks like here, what the person looks like over here, you know? And so I'm just trying to be, you know, learning to accept myself for who I am has actually helped me accept others more because I've had to accept my imperfections. I've had to accept that, you know, I, I'm a recovering people pleaser in my own life, not in my, in my work life. I just piss everybody off, but in my own life, I'm kind of this people pleaser <laughs> and had to confront that and deal. It probably destroyed my last marriage, you know, cause I was so afraid of confrontation in my personal life because I was doing all of it out in my professional life. And so, you know, it, it's really, I don't know. It's really tough. I just wish, I was really actually excited about having this conversation with you guys. Cause I went and checked out your Instagram and stuff. And, you know, I was like, Oh yeah, you know, see, there's some people who are really angry about this stuff, but hopefully I can come in and, and say, Oh, there's also this side of it. Cause I've been on the other side that's crushed, you know what I mean? And that's judged. And I could literally like find the, you know, find the new gospel of Jesus Christ and, and show it. And it would be like, Jay Baker, son of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, disgraced ministers, and da, 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 finds <laughs> the lost ark. You know what I mean? Like that's always going to be there. That's it. That's always going to be the headline. You know, when I do a podcast, there is no podcast I have ever been on or no interview I have ever done in my life where I don't talk about my parents. You know, 
And so people ask, well, what does cancel culture do? It's like, well, I'm 46. When I was 11, my parents went through a scandal. I'm still talking about it. When people find out my kids who are six and four right now, who they are, they're going to probably be asked about their grandparents, you know, and have to live in that, you know? So like we put on the, like the scarlet letter, you know, and, and that's so unchurch. Like I, I really feel like if a lot of people had un- understood uh, theology better and understood biblical, biblical story, history better, and, and even how Jewish uh, storytelling works, we would look at Christianity in such a completely different way. And we'd be having such different conversations. And, you know, the church would, not, would be the last place to scapegoat and would be the safest place to come for all pieces of shit. You know, everybody who's screwed up because we would, we would be restoring people and helping people and we would be the people who don't escape. Now, we might be hated because we love the people, but that's a good reason to be hated is if, if I mean, why was, you know, why was Jesus such a troublemaker? Is because he was, you know, he wasn't just hanging out with Pharisees sometimes, but he was also hanging out with uh, tax collectors. I mean, Matthew was a tax collector. You know, he was like literally a traitor to his own people. He would be seen like, you know, for for liberals, they would see him as like Matthew as one of the people in the the what was it, the January six attack on the Capitol. You would think that's Matthew, <laughs> but he also had a zealot. So he'd also have the like, you know, the anarchist kid. There's, you know, there was a zealot in the, you know, so he had all these weird guys in his group and who were like wanted to kill each other and stuff, you know, and it's just in 12 of them, you know, it was quite an eclectic group of people. And you see that. And then you see Pete Paul saying there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female, you know, um, you know, we're all one in Christ. You know, we're all one. Um, he's saying there's no hierarchy. There's no lowarchy. Or when Paul says, you know, I went and met with Peter and stuff like that, but you know, his reputation really didn't matter to me because God shows no favorites, you know, like, if we just, keyed into a few of these things we'd realize like christianity is probably not the problem it's probably people and it's a sense of not having a deeper think i'm having critical thinking and not being willing to to think on deeper levels and i think that's what we have to do i i think our our biggest problem is probably anger legalism and um and shallow thinking as i think that's probably the biggest thing you know yeah as people not yeah. directing that as humanity that towards yes, humanity. as humans yeah yeah all of us not just religious people you know yeah. well i mean i love it man i'll even take the take the shade at some of the shit posting I, <laughs> you, should, you should see the hey, things i have we a don't few post. shit posts <laughs> no, i know or you should see what i don't post i also go in and go really angry and then go like okay i can't say this or if i'm gonna say it, i need to figure out a way to put it into a talk because yeah. there's no way I can put this to be understood. I've said some horrible shit. Like I, that's the thing is like knowing like what, what allows me to give grace is knowing my capability to throw shade just as bad as anyone else. My thing yeah. is I probably show, I throw shade even more now in some ways, like in my friend, like with me and Pete and stuff, when we're talking about different groups, because now I was like, I can like, Oh, look at the progressives over there. And Oh, look at the conservatives over there. And, oh, they're all a bunch of assholes, you know, and you're like, but we have the secret yeah. knowledge. <laughs> You know, so you got to make sure you don't fall into that either. Oh, yeah. You know, only if you read Hegel do you truly understand (laughs) the secret message of Jesus. Yeah, you definitely don't want to turn into this like esoteric group of people that. (laughs) Oh, so there you go. Man, it's it's tough, guys. I mean, this is tough. And think about it is we're in the middle of like, you know, COVID and we could be entering into World War Three. You know, life is really horrific it's wild right now yeah 
yeah i feel like there's like this baseline anxiety across culture right like across our i mean everywhere that's all people are talking about um that like that it's crazy how much you know we used to not know things uh we we would we used to not actually know what was going on maybe you have to check the six o'clock news and you'd get snippets but man the internet stresses everybody out like you can't you can't stop knowing and learning and well maybe you're not could redefine knowledge maybe yeah Uh, that's probably not what's going on but just that constant influx of like death and doom and gloom and yeah and not knowing what's true and what's not true and about things you can't do anything about not yeah. that, again but then you that now that you can be informed you maybe should be because there may be something walking that line and trying to figure out how to find that balance in life is it's rough and it sucks and i think especially now when you know everyone's just an armchair scholar about foreign policy and shit like that you're like <laughs> yeah it, it's it's exhausting like the age of information has allowed everybody to feel like they're a fucking genius uh, yeah, i'm yes. not i'm not impervious to that feeling trust me <laughs> yeah well me either like you know and that's what's been good about having a best friend who has a doctorate in philosophy is he just never takes anything for face value and so he always ends up looking into things deeper and so i'll come to him like have you heard this he's like actually did you look at this and look at this and, oh damn it because it takes the fun out of it you're like i wanted to be angry you know now you're at, and then i want to be like oh no you're just wrong you know and like, actually am i well why don't you look at this and read this and you're like, oh damn it you know it's more complicated like I was ready to throw Joe Rogan under the under the bus, you know, and, and then I, you know, Neil. Then I read like where all Neil Young's like fifty percent of his money goes for his music, and then I was like, how is this guy calling this guy out? You know what I mean? And yeah. I just went down the thing, and I and I didn't realize, and I'm like, holy crap, you know, like Neil Young's music like goes to this like Blackwater. I think it's called Blackwater. I'm not sure if it's the name of it right now, but like a group that like that fights against equal housing opportunities and kicks people out of their houses and raises rent, does all these awful things. And he sold it, but he doesn't say like, Hey, don't buy 50% of my songs because it does really horrible stuff to goes to really horrible things, you know? Um, and who's going to have long- all private mortgages in the last quarter of 2021 were bought by private equity firms, including right. BlackRock's the and, biggest one. And they're buying up musicians. Now I never thought I would have to worry about like, Maybe I'd have to worry about what my musician thought, but maybe I could ignore it if the music was good enough. But now it's like, I have to like worry about like who owns the music to the bands I listen to. <laughs> you know, not only am I a hypocrite because I buy an iPhone every time, every couple of years, you know, and little kids are mining for the materials in the iPhone, you know, or I'm not studying like who the, the, the cocoa beans that go into my kids' chocolate treats that I buy them, you know, um, but now I have to worry about the thing I love most is music. You know, it's like, oh. Yeah, you know? everything's tainted. Everything yeah. in this world is tainted. <laughs> and so to just take you back to this, a biblical thing, it's like, you know, that we all fall short kind of thing really does line up or don't judge because how you judge, you will be judged. It kind of makes sense, you know? And I know that there's a lot of triggers probably for your listeners when they hear like Bible verses spouted out like that, but it's, what's the intent behind it, you know? And what was it really trying to say to us? And I, I feel bad for people who've been abused by bad theology and by sick people who are trying to fight their own demons through theology and made other sick people. That makes me really, really sad. Um, and I hope we can move on from that and realize what it is. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, I, I just, I want to, I mean, kind of off subject, but still on subject is like, you know, like when the guy who wrote, I just kissed dating goodbye. 
Yep. You know, he recently came out and was like, Joshua Harris. I didn't Joshua Harris. I denounced this book, you know, and I'm sorry I wrote it. And, but there were people who were like, screw you, bro. Yeah. Damage done. <laughs> Damage done. Too late. Yeah. You know, and the one thing I love about Grace is Grace never says it's too late. There's a great Paul Tillich talk on it, and, and you can get it anywhere on Google just to read it. Um, it's called You Are Accepted by Paul Tillich. It's phenomenal. Everybody should read it, Christian, non-Christian, whatever. It's just on the concept of grace, and it's really a beautiful written talk. And, and Tillich was a philosopher and a theologian, kicked out of Germany by Hitler if you need any more encouragement to read his stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you should definitely read that. But, but like for me, it was like, everybody was so mad. And I was like, no one wants to take their responsibility in reading the Josh Harris books. And so someone was yelling at me about it. And I go, Hey, listen, man, I had a book out at the same time. I was totally taking the piss out of Josh Harris back then. (laughs) You know, I was like so much so that when he spoke at events, he would bring me up, not in a good way. You know, I'm like, but the fact is we wanted him to repent. We wanted him to say this was crap. Now, it might have taken him 20 years. Maybe that wasn't our time limit, but that's what we wanted. And we should be grateful for that and encourage him and say, thanks. You know, thanks for finally speaking up because, you know, you ruined my first marriage. It's like, <laughs> you know, but also for me, I'm like, guys, I was telling you not to read that book. You just chose to buy his book at the Christian bookstore rather than Son of a Preacher Man at the bookstore. So <laughs> it is funny when you think about like that there's so many people that had the same upbringing as us, you know, and we knew those kids that were like challenging what was being taught that didn't buy into it. Or if nothing, if even if it wasn't anything that grandiose, they were just existing in that space and still living kind of a normal life. Yeah. Yeah. They dated girls in high school and went to dances and just acted like a normal teenager, you know? And like, not only did we did I not do those things, yeah. I took pride in not doing those things. Yeah. Like that was a yeah. point of pride for me that like we're not like the other. You know, right. we kind of were crappy towards. There's there's one guy that always comes to mind in that regard, but my buddy Garrett from high school, he was always seen as like the well, Garrett's you know he's kind of worldly. Like he uh, has friends that don't go to this Christian school with all 12 of us, you know, you have to be a little worried about Garrett, but you know, we all could have been that we chose yeah. not to, and we took pride in not doing things. Yeah. So, so now to, to, I don't know, there's just a, it's a weird. And most of us ended up getting divorced anyway. So <laughs> we can't blame 50%. Josh Harris. Yeah, Philly's 50, and in the church, 51%. So <laughs> I don't think it's all Joss's fault. Um, I know. I mean, divorce rates are kind of the same throughout church and uh, outside of it. So yeah. how much is he really responsible for? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe well, that's why like they two, are the same. I'll take that back. That's why they're the same <laughs> yeah. because of Josh Harris. Yeah. <laughs> what was so funny is I sent a direct message to Josh on Twitter, and I was like, hey, man, I'm really sorry you're going through all this shit. And, you know, the church can be cruel. And he was like, thanks, man. You know, and here we were 20 years ago, like, you know, totally giving each other shade. You know what I mean? And now we're both like, ah, this is tough. Life is tough. So yeah, I never talked know. to him last year. He's a nice guy. He's yeah. a nice guy. He seems like he's trying to kind of put, he's trying to undo some of the, the, the wrongs that he feels he and how cool i mean like like how cool is that it's not only going out and saying i was wrong now screw you guys i'm gonna go live my life he's like also i want to come out and try to undo some of this that i've yeah. done 
You know, I mean, I think that's one of the best things we can hope for. I think that's what was frustrating. Like he had some missteps along the way and I understand why people got upset about it and they're totally right and entitled to be as upset as they were. Um, But he could have just been like, yeah, fuck this shit. And then moved on and did his own thing. Some people think he's nefarious and that he's just trying to like, you know, find a new crowd to, you know. Oh yeah. I think I would, but I I I don't think that's the case at all. I think he's actually trying to undo just don't buy it just don't buy it if you don't like it it's that simple and if you're you know i mean this is back then is like everybody was trying to find the new thing you know so there are reasons that i was writing my autobiography at 23 and why joshua harris was writing a book on dating at 23 you know i mean how much dating have you really done besides like high school kind of maybe some college dating but you haven't done any real dating you know, unless you got a Christian, you got married at 18. Um, I got married because you date your wife. Yeah. Yeah. I dated my wife. And that was it. But what I'm just saying is like, too, it's like, you know, book companies and the church is hunger to have the new thing and the hot thing and whatever it is. And it gets people talking and they knew they had lightning in a bottle. If somebody's going to say, well, I'm going to say no more dating anymore. They're like, hell yeah, this book's going to drive people insane. You know, people are going to love it and people are going to hate it and it's going to sell, you know? And so that's, you know, this, you know, I was getting, this is Jim Baker's kid and he's covered in tattoos. He should write his autobiography at 23, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? Like I would love to roll back and rewrite that book. And I still may one day, you know what I mean? Cause it was like, I'm, I'm a much different person. And I see my past in a much clearer. Uh, I think the way you should way. rewrite it when you do it, I think you should do it with like wide margins and just have all your edits and stuff crossed out yes. and publish Great. it that way. That's a great idea. actually. <laughs> I used to use a wide margin Bible. I really liked it. I could yeah. write all that. <laughs> I'm in That's school and I'm fu- uh, I, I just started up grad school. And uh, for the first time in my life, I've actually got excited about wide margins. It's like, holy shit. That's yeah, what this yeah. is for. I can write in it. It's yeah. I mean, it really wide margins are a game changer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for any studying. Like I kind of wish some of these philosophy books that I'm trying to read had wide margins. I'm writing these like, like the people who write on rice, you know what I mean? I'm like, these little notes, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, I won't remember where this is if I don't write this little tiny note to myself. Yep. <laughs> so, okay. So I have a question for you. Sure. That, because, uh, you know, I haven't asked you enough questions about your dad, but this isn't just about your dad and, and your family. This is in general. Like you talked about how, you know, looking at that movie, like the the story mirrors the biographical epic of like a rock star or an investment banker whoever you want to put into that it's it's success right yeah i'm curious what you think like does great success like this does huge success does it confuse co-opt or corrupt a person's values i mean and a lot of people yes and some people no you know you look at people like bruce springsteen who's like stayed true to his work or people like John Lydon or people you know is Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols who's like done their work the way they wanted to do their work or people like Johnny Cash you know he kind of veered off for a little while but then kind of got right back on it you know but for every like those stories there's like a thousand stories where success went wrong you know you look at Big Pharma you look at uh, (laughs) you know what was the guy who did the DeLorean you look at the, the DeLorean guy you look at like all these different people and you see these these success stories of, of people's lives falling apart. And we see a lot more of those, which it's funny, funny that we get more into those because they're so relatable. Um, you know, like, I don't know, like I've never had a staff over like seven people. Like my dad has staff of like 
thousands of people. I, I, that would make me insane, you know? And they kept the same accountant that they had when they were meeting in like uh, an old furniture store that they did when they had like these giant churches, you know, it's like, that's probably not the best thing for them. I mean, I'm sure you, she's a nice lady. I'm sure she's a lovely lady, but you might want to get a proper accountant. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) she started off as a volunteer. You might just want to buy an account firm. I think they have whole firms that do accounting. Um, Why'd you you franchise your own TurboTax? (laughs) Let's let's do this. But um, so like it's hard. Success is hard and being surrounded by people. And then in religion, I mean, you get mentally ill people, you get grifters, you get, I mean, I think you do that in any place in society it's not just religion but religion's gotten a lot of it but yeah adding the power of god behind your ego yeah megalomania doesn't help well and when people start saying like well you're the man of god you know and stuff like that that yeah. gets a little creepy when you start thinking every thought you have is the holy spirit yeah um or if you're a billionaire like I, sometimes i see these billionaires you know talking about investments and they're like well what about you know if you invest in amazon but you know well, what about how they treat their workers? And like, oh, well, we don't look at that. You know, we have to look at the bottom line. It's not really how they treat their workers. It's like how it is a business. You know, you're like, okay, so when you have a billion dollars, all some people don't matter. So it's not just televangelists or mega preachers. You know, it's also billionaires. It's also Amazon, you know, and we all play in this. You know, and the, the most ironic thing is, is where we tear each other apart is on Facebook, you know, owned by this millionaire who seems really <laughs> out of in touch with society, you know, or we do it on Instagram, owned by Facebook, or we do it on Twitter, and Twitter's not done a whole. So we like our overlords give us these platforms for us to destroy each other, you know, and we ignore what they're doing, you know. And I mean, if we've got asked every like somebody who listens to you, like, hey, can you pull up and just show me the last time you shopped at Amazon? Oh, oh, yeah. today within the last thirty six <laughs> hours. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I ordered a Bible commentary forty eight hours ago on Amazon, you know, and. I haven't heard anything about workers not pissing in bottles anymore. Yeah. So that's just like, let's all like, if we're going to judge, let's judge from a place of reality. You know what I mean? And for me, like the biggest problem is probably what I feel like is this whole thing we've been talking about. And even beyond that is really boils down to capitalism. Capitalism has reached a peak where it's just gotten out of control. And what it does is it promises us, and this is what religion does. It promises this, the wholeness. That's why they tie together so well, I guess. So yeah, to fill this void, right? Uh, Well, we'll fill that God-shaped hole or whatever, you know, get a new car and you'll be happy or get these books and you'll finally have the knowledge that you need and you don't. And then you have to go buy more and all these empty promises, you know, I mean, if you look back at slavery, what was slavery? Slavery wasn't just like, so we can treat people horrible. No, it was so we can have free labor or cheap labor. You know, like when I see my people who work at McDonald's down the street from my house, you know, I think like these people could work seven days a week you know, eight hours a day and still not be able to afford health care, still not be able to afford rent, barely be able to put gas. So they have worked two, three, four jobs to do that. And it's like, so ultimately what's more evil in this world or is it these televangelists that are spouting off about religion, which we all could just ignore? Or is it the fact that these, that most of us can't go to the doctor or like, I just got health insurance, but I couldn't afford to get dental this year. So I have to ignore the left side of my mouth for a year, you know, I'll just chew on the right side. It's okay. You know what I mean? Ugh. But that's the world we live in. Oh so God, to me, it's like all us being like, eh, this preacher, this person, like to me, it's like, is it really relevant? You know, like, and if we do want to help these people, then let's start things that really do help people, you know, or let's go meet with these people. One of the things I loved working about with the, this group called soul force, which was this, 
LGBTQ yeah. Christian organization. We used to protest them at Liberty University. Well, there you go. And they protested <laughs> you guys. So you guys kind of all protested each other. See? Um, but so I would go with them, but we would go and we would, we met with, I met with Joel Olstein. He wouldn't meet with anybody else in the, with, with Soul Force, but me. So I, me and Joel Olstein and two of his guys in a room, like having a conversation, really awkward. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. You know, I'm, sure. I'm meeting, surprised you walked out with your eyesight not being yeah, blinded by. Actually, he was, he was, I honestly, I felt like here's a guy who wants to be affirming, but he has too much. Oh, he's he, too many people around him. He has too the, many people. The shareholders around him. don't like the idea. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. It was like, no, this is not going to happen. Matter of fact, one of the guys like stood and put their arm on his shoulder about when I said about being affirming, and they go put their arm on Joel's shoulder and goes, "This church will never be an affirming church." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's like Joel, time to stop talking. You know. So like, but we went and we met with these people, and then we said, if you don't meet with us, then we'll protest you. Like sometimes I, when my dad's, all this stuff came out of my dad saw this stuff, silver solution. And, and somebody said he claimed that it could cure coronavirus and all this stuff. Um, and I, I, I watched the tape and I was like, it seems like the lady said, it. I don't know if he was agreeing with her, but I was like, I'm going to call these, these Christian right watch groups and, and, and talk to a few of them. I said, Hey, did you try to contact my dad? And one guy was a pastor. So this works better if it's a pastor. I'm like, well, you know, biblically it says you're supposed to try to go to them first. You know, I'm like, and you didn't even try to call you didn't <laughs> to get a phone number nothing. Well, no, no, we don't. That's not how we, you know? And so for me, it was like, well, you know, like, what do you expect? You know, we're not even doing, you know, nobody's doing the right thing, you know? And so it's, I don't know. It's sad guys. It's, I, I, I wish I had a message of hope. I mean, my message is that we should, we should educate ourselves better. Um, not trust the media not trust social media and, um, learn how to care about people and love our enemies better. Um, it really, it's funny because it's like, I have a very different view of like what, I am. I don't, I don't consider myself a confessional Christian, um, but I do follow Christianity and, and find myself to be very much a Christian in that way. Of I really do believe in grace, you know. So if someone asked me, you know, do you believe in God? It's like, well, I am really trying to love my neighbor as myself, and also trying to love my enemy better. And um, I, I'm really trying to have the tough conversations and, and take the road less traveled, um, you know, for me. But that's all because I because of grace and, 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 and just this, this, that Paul Tillich type of grace of you are accepted that he did. He talked about. So for me, that's, that's it. It's like, to me, there's something really special about Christianity that it's just sad that if we throw it out, we miss out why people like Hegel, one of the most amazing philosophers in the world thought there was something special about it, you know, like, or why people like Paul Tillich or Martin Luther King really thought it was brilliant. You know, it's like we miss out on some of that brilliance because, you know, our youth pastor didn't give us an extra slice of uh, pizza during the party, you know? <laughs> yeah, man, I love it. I think, I think that's as good a place of any to, to end it. So fantastic. Yeah. Dude, thanks so much, man. This oh, was, you're welcome guys. Casey, you looked like you might've had a final thought. Am I, am I jump cutting you off? No, I just, my alarm went off. I got to go take my colloidal silver. (laughs) Well, and try some silver solution. I've heard that's really good for you. Um, No, but yeah. And if you guys want to do a follow-up for this, because I know we just like covered everything at a million miles an hour, you know, I'm, I'm glad to do a follow-up part two 
Heck, we could even get somebody on here to disagree with me. That would be fun. <laughs> we'll facil- facilitate our first debate. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. We just have, uh, you get, you get, uh, we have Josh Ocean Harris number? on it, and we just yeah. blast him like a three-way blast. Yeah, let's do that. You guys can get the masked, <laughs> the masked Avenger on, and me and the masked Avenger can have a conversation. Yeah, we solve Because I'm like Iron Man, because I, I don't have a secret identity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wear big Iron Man glasses to do my best. Yeah, uh, that's it has to be Robert Downey Jr. You have to be in superhero costumes. I'm here for Perfect. This. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for the conversation. And yep. to everybody listening, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.